And welcome back. We are in November now, and uh, we're going to be putting this out there right before Thanksgiving comes up. Hope you are all going to have a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving this year, that it'll be better than last year. Certainly seems like it should be in most places. Mm-hmm. I'm a little under the weather. I apologize in advance if I if I cough. You've all had me... Uh, You've heard me cough uh, recently, too. Tim, how you doing? I'm doing okay over here. It's uh, kind of a toasty day. I saw licorice pizza last night. Uh, How is it? uh, It's another one of those uh, missives uh, that he does uh, to a a time gone by here in Los Angeles. Uh, Interesting for fellows like you and me. Yeah, I mean, you've been here your your entire life. So when, when, when you sit down to see it. You will see this L.A. from 1973, this actual physical L.A. from 1973. That's just a fascinating thing. When I first got here in 1990, the 1990 L.A. and 1970s L.A. were more or less the same L.A. L.A. did not begin to sort of really actually physically change until the yeah. 2000s, middle 2000s, when, when very right. sort of iconic things literally started to go away. So I got to experience that that, that L.A. and, and watching, uh, you know, uh, one of his films will just always sort of like put you there uh, as he tells, uh, a little, you know, a little story that's really just a bunch of, you know, stories. He's just telling these stories from his childhood and Gary Goatsman is a character and, and a sort of William well, yeah. Holden guy as a character. And I guess if you grew up here in LA, you know, you have stories like this. I just, I, I think about that and, I, and I, I'm like, I'm like, Wade could make this movie. It's, yeah. yeah, they all, they all feel like yesterday and I know they yeah, weren't. It's funny. We were just talking about it, right? Uh, yeah. uh, so, you know, uh, an interesting kind of thing. You know what we forgot to do? We forgot to look up who died. Uh, so we, we, You know what? We've I, I looked a little bit up of it. Uh, first, I want to make mention that just about a week ago, Walter Mirisch turned 100 years oh, old. Oh, yeah, let's start with that. I know a lot of people may not realize Walter Mirisch even still exists, but Walter Mirisch, it's interesting, with West Side Story, the Spielberg film coming out, <coughs> Walter Mirisch's company produced the original West Side mm-hmm. Story in 1961. Mm-hmm. So 60 years ago, he was a 40 year old man and he and his brothers <laughs> would produce West Side Story. And of course, there would, you know, Mirish Company would do things like Some Like It Hot and, and The Apartment and all, all those great Billy Wilder movies, all of the, uh, the Pink Panther movies. You know, the Mirish Company was the original independent producer, independent production company. They started that for everybody. Yeah. And, and, and prior to that, everything was done inside the studios. The Mirishes were the first ones, the first ones to whom studios farmed things out. Mm. Okay, we'll give you a little bit of money and you develop this. Yeah. We're not going to develop and decide. We're going to let the Mirish company do it. And now that's that's the model. They were the first. So Walter Mirish, 100 years old, still going strong, still wants to win another Oscar. And our good friend Brant, who wrote and directed our, our mm-hmm. short uh, Refugee uh, Oscar shortlisted last year, Brant was on the Universal lot one time, probably about three, four years ago, and uh, bumped into this old guy in the elevator going up in the, in the Black Tower where all the executive offices are and found out it was Walter Mirisch. Every day, he puts on a tie and a suit and goes to the office at 100 years old. That... <laughs> Is an example to me. I'm going to be doing. You that. well, you know, that's, 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 uh, but, that's why that's why he's 100 years old. Because uh, he's got so, he's got he's he's always got something to do tomorrow. Uh, he it. never goes to sleep without anything to do tomorrow. He knows exactly what it. he's going to do. He's got to figure out what what suit and tie to wear at, at number one, and then he's got to get his ass to the office, uh, and uh, yep. that'll keep you alive for 100 years, apparently. 
But in terms of people who died, Dean Stockwell uh, lost Dean Stockwell. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Dean Stockwell was an actor for longer than most people actually live, um, uh, because he started when he was uh, a, a little, a yeah. little bitty boy, um, uh, and and he stayed an actor through every phase, a successful actor through every yeah. phase of his life. You know, a lot of times we talk about, you know, child actors and, and what will happen to them and all that kind of stuff. Well, for Dean Stockwell, uh, he stayed an actor is what he did. He did. Um, um, my Dean Stockwell is the Dean Stockwell of Quantum Leap. Uh, him and Scott Bakula. Uh, 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 him popping in. Uh, I love that. I, you know, I, I, I'm a big, 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 ridiculous fan of that show. My wife is in an episode of that show. I, I always just love the show. Uh, in general, I love the characters, uh, in, in, in that show. And I love the way Dean played all that stuff. Um, yeah. um, um, uh, he was, he was just amazing, but Dean was in night galleries and, 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 and Blue Velvet, his whole oh serenade in Blue Velvet is just, is, is legendary, you know? Yeah. I mean, an amazing actor who survived through many different generations of changes in acting style and movie styles. And he just, he somehow belongs to all those eras in a very unique way. Not often known, Dean Stockwell won Best Actor at the Cannes Film Festival um, uh, twice. Mm. And only just a few years apart, back in like, it was like late 50s and then 1962 again for, for uh, Long Day's Journey into Night. Only two other actors have ever won Best Actor at the Cannes Film Festival twice. Jack Lemon and Marcello Mastroianni, wow. and the third is Dean Stockwell. That's pretty great. That is insane company. I did not know that, and, yeah. and, and that's just yeah. uh, that's just insane company. That's a, that, yeah. that's amazing. Dean Dean always popped up. He just he pop he would, he would just pop up in some of, some of my favorite shows. You know, Dean Dean is in a couple episodes of Stargate. Dean is in a, a, a few. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's just there. He would be. You know, um, uh, sort of being Dean Stockwell. Uh, so yeah, miss yeah. him. Uh, so good one. Wow. Good, good one wow. Yeah. And, and, uh, we also lost uh, a film critic colleague, David shoot C H U T E. If you want to look up some of his, uh, his writings, David shoot, um, is an extraordinary figure in, in, in film history. Um, he, he was diagnosed with, uh, esophageal cancer just a few weeks ago and, and it took him rather quickly. And, and it's devastating to a lot, a lot of us who are close to him. David was, he's the, he's the, he's the OG when it comes to, to Americans who championed Hong Kong cinema. Mm. Um, you know, I, uh, <clears throat> I'd always loved Kung Fu movies growing up, but it wasn't until, you know, David shoot introduced Andy Klein to those movies, taken him to San Gabriel and the Chinatown theaters and showed him, you know, the breadth of what those movies were and could be. And, uh, and you know, he, he, his writing opened it up to me as well. And then Andy Klein introduced me to David and David was invaluable to, to me when I was writing my Jackie Chan book. And, and a lot of people don't realize David shoot basically is responsible for John Woo having an American career. Mm. And, uh, you know, he, he's sort of where it all came together as far as opening up what I, what I call our muddy Western eyes to the, the, the spectacular stuff that was going on in Hong Kong through, throughout the, the eighties and nineties in particular. So, uh, David shoot, um, is gone and, and we will miss him terribly, but what an amazing legacy he leaves of, of film criticism, which made a difference. And that's, that's something to say. He didn't just write reviews. He made a difference with his criticism. He, he, he bridged cultural divide. Yeah. 
And, and uh, he did that as well later in his career with Bollywood movies. You know, when he was done with Hong Kong, he went and tackled Indian cinema, which is like the heaviest lift of all and, and did an amazing job with it. So oh, yeah. uh, David Shute, yeah. a, a, a really legendary epic film critic. And I'm so sorry he's gone, but what a legacy yeah. he leaves. Yeah, he's, he's a big fan of Romero and John Waters and anything, oh. anything off the beaten path. Uh, I didn't know him, but I read him and uh, your film, he wrote for Boston, uh, Phoenix, a uh, film comment, a bunch of stuff. Yeah. There you go. Film comment. Yeah. Well, let's, let's get bouncing. Uh, I've got some docs here. I'm going to pop through some docs real quickly. Uh, we've got, uh, a, we've got first, let me do uh, this one here. The hidden life of trees, which is based on a book actually. And I was not familiar with the book, but, uh, I grew up with a book in the house called the secret life of plants, which I remember my mother was really excited about where the, the whole premise was that they did these studies and can plants hear us and react to us. Do plants have emotions? I thought that's weird, man. You know, what are you up to mom? (gasps) And sure enough, it was very, very interesting, the, the stuff. And this is kind of along the same lines. Um, uh, Peter Wolobin is the is the guy who sort of underlines all of this this world these theories, and it gives a completely different perspective on the on uh, on environmentalism and and trees and vegetation and ecology, and um, it's it's really really interesting. Um, it's an interesting perspective. You may not completely embrace it. You might think some of it is a little bit out on the edge, but boy, it's really, really interesting to, to, to kind of start to understand forests and wooded areas as more than just an ecosystem, but, but a social system. Mm. So I, I really very fascinating. And I'm curious to read the book now. So that's the hidden life of trees. Uh, and then we have got, uh, thank you for supporting the arts, which, uh, is really quite a, quite an interesting and unusual film. This is from, um, uh, Cinema Libre, Cinema Libre Studios, which does very socially conscious stuff. Gus Van Sant shows mm-hmm. up in this, by the way. And, um, the, uh, the, 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 God, I don't even quite know how to how to how to frame this. It's um, it's a it's a look at people who um, it's it, let, let's put it this way: it does for the arts, maybe in the same way what the what the previous film do, did with respect to trees mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, it's 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 a it's a different way of looking at the arts. It's a different way of um, especially things like stripping. Mm-hmm. I don't want to kind of give give everything away, but um, here's, here's the, here's the thing. Anything can be an art if it is in the hands of an artist. Mm-hmm. Anything can, if you, if it's not in the hands of an artist, it will, it will not be art. No. So the question here is this woman who is a stripper, um, is it, is it a sex thing? Is it a feminist thing? Is it an art thing? Mm-hmm. And that's the question that, that is sort of posed here. And uh, Gus Van Sant weighs in, and a lot of other people weigh in. Yeah, they should, they should have asked me. I would have weighed in. <laughs> and, 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 it, and it takes it beyond. I don't want people to think it's just about stripping, because it takes it beyond stripping. It takes it to a question of what are the arts? What makes something an art? 
what makes someone an artist. It gets rather, rather profound. So um, that's as much as I'll, I'll give away. Um, and then we have a great one here from First Run Features, Gustav Stickley, American Craftsman. Mm. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, uh, Stickley is, is one of the sort of key figures in, uh, you know, really, uh, kind of an amazing artist in and of his own right, very particular kind of, uh, design and furniture and, and decoration and so forth. So I watch a lot of um, antiques roadshow. Let me tell you something. Whenever, whenever, whenever somebody has some stickly, <laughs> the number, that's the, right. The, 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 the quote is going to be way up there. So it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, he, he does a lot like it's, it, you know, I, I always knew him just as kind of basically a furniture yeah. guy, but he's, he's more than a furniture guy. He's more than a furniture than the guy who makes, you know, particular furniture. He's uh <clears throat> it's a complete aesthetic. And uh, that's what this gets into is a really significant figure and much more influential than I think I ever uh, actually gave him credit for. And there's a lot, this is only about a 67 minute doc is a lot packed into it. Really, really very interesting. And in quite the businessman too, I should mm-hmm. point out uh, LA plays itself. Famous, famous film. This has been around for quite a while. It was uh, previously on Blu-ray. Then uh, the rights were, were uh, withdrawn and it is back again. Uh, and, uh, what an amazing, uh, kind of, uh, experimental, but wonderful tribute to, to Los Angeles. Mm. And it is, um, it is here included. It's a 4k restoration and it is part of a larger thing on this one Blu-ray called the Fred Halstead collection, which includes, um, the hour long film sex tool, which is longer than LA plays itself. By Mm. the way, it's just not as famous. Uh, and, um, uh, the sex garage, which is a, a half hour film and, uh, 4k restorations of LA plays itself and, and sex tool and 2k restoration of the sex garage. And, uh, you know, it's all, all very, very interesting. Fred Halstead is a, uh, a, a fine filmmaker and that's worth paying attention to. Oh yeah. We also have from film movement, uh, Robert Muggy, another great documentarian, Robert Muggy, uh, deep blues, which is just a fantastic documentary about the blues. Uh, this was, um, commissioned by Dave Stewart, believe it or not. You know, we think of the Eurythmics as kind of an eighties mm. band, but the Eurythmics, there's a lot of blues going on. Oh, there. Yeah. And Dave Stewart yeah. is, I mean, you know, Annie's, and, Annie's yeah. vocals and Dave Stewart's guitar. Yeah. It's very bluesy. Yeah. And so, uh, it was Dave Stewart who commissioned it and sent Robert Muggy, uh, down into the, into the, the, you know, the, the, the Northern part of Mississippi and, and the Delta to kind of find what's happening with the blues today. Where's the soul of the blues. And it's pretty great. They find uh, find just some amazing artists and incredible musicians. who are probably never going to be otherwise be on your radar. This may be the only time that you see mm. them. And these are just uh, incredible, incredible people and some great music here. If you love the blues, boy, this is just, this is going to cut you right to the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the blues, to the Bee Gees. Oh, my God. I love the Bee Gees. Frank Marshall. Frank Marshall did an HBO original, The Bee Gees, How Can You Mend a Broken Heart, which uh, came out this year. This is on Blu-ray. I am so grateful for this because I have been a Bee Gees fan since I was a oh, kid yeah. on the school bus, listening to all every song from the uh, Saturday Night Fever soundtrack. And, um, uh, you well, know, there's only – Barry's the only one yeah, left. Yeah. See, I'm a little bit older than you, so I actually remember the Bee Gees the first time. They That's were, right before they before were, Saturday Night they Fever. They were big stars in the in, in the late yeah. in the late sixties, and and then that whole other thing. And wow, yeah, it's uh so Frank Marshall, you know, labor love. He's mostly doing documentaries these days, but boy, what a what a great mm. tribute! 
um, if, if, you know, the Bee Gees were kind of a joke for, for a moment, cause like everybody else from disco. So this takes that whole, it goes from that early 60s period all the way through, man, all the way through, right in the 80s yeah. and, and beyond. And it, it uh, a lot of people interviewed here, some really important people who worked with them and admire them and know them, Eric Clapton, Justin Timberlake, uh, Nick Jonas, you know, they, they throw the, the, the young kids in yeah. there who, who, who give today's generation permission to realize how great. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, it, yeah, look, I always, I like the ones, I like the, I like, I like the artists of, of, of any given day, but of today who, who, who yeah. pay homage, who, who, who recognize, look, I didn't, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't born anew. I, you know, I was built from something. And, uh, and uh, it. mostly it was my parents' record collection is, is what it was. There you, that's right. That's right. Uh, we have an epic documentary here also from HBO, another HBO original, Tiger. This is over three hours on Tiger Woods. And it is riveting. Yeah. But I will say it is incomplete mm. because the man is still young yeah. and still alive. Yeah. And so I kind of feel like the final chapter to this doc hasn't been written. But what is amazing is that to me that a, that a guy that young and that successful can justify a three hour and 15 minute documentary that is never dull and never boring. There has been so much drama in his life. And we think about, you know, the auto accident. And his, no, his, all his that happened since, since, and, since that documentary. You, you, know, you know what I, I like about that doc, though? Um, uh, because, again, you and I are of, of an age of where we remember uh, when there was no Tiger Woods, and then suddenly right. there's a Tiger Woods, uh, right. and 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 uh, and and all all of that, and, and all of that is, is 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 in that film, and that was really really interesting to watch, fast fascinating to sort of walk through that sort of, and then you know um, um, uh, you know the, the sort of the sort of big dynamic change in in, in in all of these things. But you're right, it's a story unfinished uh, that will probably require another you know another two or three hour documentary. Um, 10 years from now. Yeah. It, it's, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's really an unbelievably rich and textured life that he's had. And it's warts and all. It's not like, a, like they're, they're building a temple to the guy. No, here. yeah. They, they really, they lay uh, out. Tiger's, Tiger's dad. And, and, again, and again, I remember, I remember watching, and his dad would be there, you know, but his dad passed yeah. away quite some time ago. But if you go back for, for, far enough, uh, I remember that episode of, I, I, I don't remember what it is. It, it, was either, it was either Mike Douglas or Merv Griffin. Uh, yep. uh, and, and little bitty tiny tiger, uh, you know, and 1970, whatever it would have been. Yeah. I remember watching that episode of that show, uh, uh, and stuff. You know, there's one thing though that, that, that bugged me a little bit in that documentary. They never mentioned the great black author Calvin Pete. They sort of frame it as though Tiger yeah. was the first black. No, <laughs> there, there, were, there were actually a number of relatively, but but Calvin Pete yeah. was the first one, you know, uh, in, 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 in the sure, television. Yeah. And they just don't, they don't mention him anyway. Whatever, that's just a thing. Yeah. Well, and then we also have last on the docks is summertime. Oh yeah, it's funny, Tim. Tim, you have you yourself have uh, have directed and uh, and produced a a spoken word yeah. uh, documentary. Yeah. And and this reminded me a lot of it, and I, I don't want to say that yours is better. I actually rather enjoyed that film. There, summertime's very yeah. good. It's very good. This is this is um, this is a, a rather amazing editing job, frankly. That that you're able to follow twenty seven different kind of slam poets over the course of one mm. day, and it's uh, it does a great job of juggling all these different stories. Um, and, and putting them all together. It's, it's really quite great. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it's funny. There's a, there's a poll quote on here, a wonderful, wonderful movie from KPCC. I'm like, who are they quoting there? 
Because uh, it's not saying film week, but I know that was on film yeah. week. So who was it that said that? I'm trying to figure out which one of our colleagues. Uh, that probably, but, that probably um, was me. Uh, but it's really, it is, it is really, really great. It's a wonderful tapestry and all the different lives and the different ways of, of, uh, of, of doing spoken word. It's, it's, it's pretty, yeah. I like and, it. And the thing that I loved about that film, and, and I'm not kidding, that probably is me. Um, yeah. if, if you, cause I, cause I, cause I covered that, uh, that day. And, uh, and, 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 uh, the thing about that film is it, it, it travels all over LA. It starts in Venice, all it travels all over. And, and the, I just love that. And uh, I, I know that it's, it's, te- it's technically not a musical, but a lot of times somebody's either rapping or singing or, or, or yeah. and so there's, there's this music or dancing, this beautiful sequence with these girls all dressed in red, you know, and I know all of these places. These are places that we know. We know all of these places. You know, if you and I watch this movie, it's kind of like, and you know, and not that you have to compare them, but, but I far and away like that movie better than um, uh, uh, In the Heights, which is a perfectly fine movie, but, but, yeah. Yeah, but they're kind of like the same thing. Um, yeah. um, uh, uh, but you know, so one's technically a musical, that's sort of not a musical, but I just, I just love that movie. I, I, I deal with it. Well, there's a wonderful audio commentary on here as well. And, and a bunch of little featurettes and, and a, and a kind of a behind the scenes, uh, doc, which I think is weird to do a behind the scenes doc on a doc. Yeah. I guess docs are kind of their own making of, but whatever, it's, it's fine. But the, uh, the, 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 the audio commentary with the director and cast is pretty great. And the director we should point out is Carlos Lopez Estrada who also did Raya and the Last yeah. Dragon. So, you know, a lot of diversity in, in, in what he does uh, as a filmmaker from, you know, I mean, those are not even close to the same yeah. genre, documentary and, you know, animated. Um, and then let me let me blow through some uh, Warner Archive stuff here. Warner Archive just keeps, they, they keep unloading their stuff. It's all on Blu-ray now. We're not doing anything else on DVD. And man, they are just doing some amazing stuff. So it's all over the map, all over the decades. But it's all memorable. Night Shift for crying oh out loud. Oh my God, one of my favorite movies Ron Howard. on the Dude, planet. I, you know, it's, uh, this was Ron Howard when he made light, bouncy, kind of really fun movies. Henry Winkler, Michael Keaton, Shelley oh Long. Um, a score by Burt Bacharach, of all things. Um, this movie is so much fun, and it's just, it, it's, you know, it's like... The Shelley Long... I mean, and her, How do you take prostitution oh, and it, make it, a movie it, this it, fun? With, a, with, with uh, you know, a, a hitman and, and at least oh. one death, that early scene in the movie when the guy goes out of the thing. And, it's totally. a, and th- there's a scene with Shelley Long. In that bathroom with Henry Winkler and those panties and those, and it's just, and I, 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 yeah, I, I that's, it's, you could, they would not allow you to do this. He has to go up, he has to reach up into no. the cat. They won't, you can't do that anymore. And that is, it, and it is what is obscene is that you can't do that anymore. I suppose you can, you can do whatever the hell you want. It's yeah. America. You, you know what I mean? But, but that scene was, was this, was this absolutely extraordinarily wonderful, uncontroversial scene. And a narrative with pips and hose and all this, oh, particularly so, not so in a good. black exploitation film, uh, no. where the top hose is like this. This is really it's, oh, Shelley Long was so beautiful, it's insane, so good. Uh, uh, so you know, I'm like, this is this is really sort of really cool stuff. Is it is it kind of edgy? Well, to be honest, at the time, I certainly didn't think so. You know what this means? No. See this movie, it's funny as funny it's- as Michael Keaton movie. It's a it, that, and that's what it was, and that's what it is, and it's what it will help. Yeah, you know, but if you want to call it edgy, I guess you can film. if you want. But it was hysterically funny and so sweet. So you know, what uh, are you dinner do? dinner at eight. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, end of the show, I'm gonna be uh, I'm gonna be doing. Uh, I'm gonna let Tim go, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out a bunch of new anime. Okay. We've uh, we've we've got a bunch of anime stored up, so I'm gonna be 
hitting the anime at the end of the show. Um, we got Dinner at Eight. Dinner at Eight is unbelievably stacked with talent. This is a 1933 uh, George Cooker mm. film that has so much talent, it blows my mind. Unbelievable. Yeah. They take a George S. Kaufman and Edna Ferber stage play, which is already elite right there. Mm. You you put it in the hands of George Cooker directing, David O. Selznick producing. Uh, you have a screenplay co-written mm. by Francis Marion and Herman Mankiewicz, yeah. the Mank of the recent oh, yeah. film Mank, who would you know go on to do uh, to to co-write Citizen yeah. Kane, with additional dialogue by Donald Ogden Stewart. And then who are we going to put in this thing? Uh, and just just John John Barrymore and Lionel Barrymore and, and Gene Harlow and uh, you know, Walsh, Gene Herschel. I mean Wallace, yeah, Wallace Beery. Yeah. I mean you know Billy Burke. Oh, yeah. It's like holy cow! How much classic Hollywood talent can you jam into a single oh. movie? It's incredible. It's so much fun. Uh, it's just really, really great. All takes place, you know, at a very elite kind of party in New York. And, um, it's, it's just, it's a, it's a wonderful artifact of an amazing period in time. And it's one of George Cooker's very, very mm. best and most legendary films. Uh, Children of the Damned. Oh, yeah. Uh, real creepy. Uh, just real creepy film. Still super creepy. Uh, they've tried to remake this and not very well. This is from 1963. Very much a, uh, a Cold War post nuclear. A uh, cautionary tale in the kind of pseudo exploitation vein of uh, uh, invasion of the body snatchers. Um, all kids from all around the world, all living in England, and they all have weird psychic powers and high IQs. And where did they come from? Man, is this weird? Mm. Uh, and just gives me chills to this day. But uh, it's a, it's still a great film, and uh, I highly recommend it, especially at Halloween time, because boy, it's going to scare the daylights yeah, out of yeah. you. Um, got a, got a, uh, let's, let me pull a couple of these here. These are, uh, some older, uh, let's see. Yeah, I'll just do these two first. Uh, Mary Stevens MD is an old Vitaphone Warner Brothers, uh, film with, uh, Thelma Todd and, uh, Kay Francis. It's, it's fine. It's, uh, it's sort of classic melodrama of the period directed by Lloyd Bacon, who, uh, did a lot of the early Busby Berkeley films. Mm. Uh, kind of their one of their more reliable directors of the uh, of the 1930s. This is 1933, yeah. probably one of like five films that Lloyd Bacon directed that year. Uh, in any, any place, any any case, uh, Thelma Todd, Thelma, yeah. really significant figure because she, Thelma Todd died yeah. young. She was murdered uh, in a location that I drive by every day. Mm. It's about you know, two miles from my house, it's right on Pacific Coast Highway. It was a restaurant uh, that was hers. It was known as Thelma Todd's. They did a Lonnie Anderson TV movie about the whole yeah. thing. Lonnie Anderson yeah. played Thelma Todd, way too old to be playing her. But um, it's still there, and the building is still there. It's protected, and you can go and see the stairs right behind it where Thelma Todd was found yeah. dead. The whole thing is creepy. So it's always important to see a, a Thelma Todd movie and to remember yeah. the the history that goes behind it. Anyway, based on a novel by Virginia Kellogg, directed by Lloyd Bacon. There it is. Uh, 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 Mary Stevens, MD. Basically, it's it's you know it's a Kay Francis movie, yeah. but Thelma Todd is a significant figure yeah. in it. Mad Love with Peter Lorre. Uh, this was an MGM film that was totally unlike any other MGM films of the period. This is 1935. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, based on uh, on a on a creepy, creepy novel that I will never, never uh, read. Directed by Carl mm -hmm. Freund. Um, 
so it's got a lot of German expressionism going on in it. But uh, this is the first English language film that Peter Lorre made. He'd come from Germany and making things like M, mm. and uh, this is is uh, he plays a uh, an evil plastic surgeon. Just saying, before there was Nip Tuck, <laughs> there was this. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, it, you know, you're basically watching this to watch Peter Laurie just do what he does best. He's got a shape. Oh yeah. That, that was really, yeah, people have seen those sort of stark black and white with that high keeling off the top of that, Ooh, that, yeah. uh, that head there. Yeah. Yeah. So let me see here. Uh, let's, let's, let's do a couple of horse things here. I'm trying to get through this a little quicker. Uh, the naked spur with James Stewart and Janet Lee, uh, also starring Robert Ryan. Uh, you know, this is just a good James Stewart Western from the 1950s. Yeah. They're making these things left and right. Uh, see it, see it for the, you know, it's, uh, See it because it's it's Anthony yeah. Mann directing Jim Stewart in a western. Yeah. I don't know what and else Janet to tell you. Lee. It's, it's, it's fine as hell. And Janet, it's good. <laughs> it's a good solid western, and it's it's very nicely transferred. We also have a young talking you know, earlier about uh, child stars and oh yeah, being able to make the migration uh, when we're talking. You know, Elizabeth Taylor in National oh, Velvet, yeah. also along with Mickey Rooney, both of them. You know, uh, child stars that 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 made good. And uh, Mickey Rooney was already on his way from being a younger star and all the stuff with Judy Garland to, uh, to, you know, maturing into adult roles. Uh, this is Elizabeth Taylor as a young girl and, and she's getting ready to make the, the move into adult roles as well. And look, it's Elizabeth Taylor and a yeah. horse. I'm yeah. sorry. It's, it's great melodrama, really fun. Uh, 1944. And uh, it's just a classic film, national velvet. Marx Brothers in a Night at the Opera, oh, one of my all-time favorites. Yeah. Uh, when Harpo like bats that baseball with the violin, it's one of the funniest laughs I've ever seen in a movie. Love this thing. It's classic Marx Brothers, directed by Sam Wood. Brilliant commentary by our good friend Leonard Malton, uh, which is wonderful. Leonard just absolutely slays it. it tells it's stuff that I didn't even know. It's amazing. Uh, there's documentary remarks on Marx. There's some stuff from uh, television with Groucho and vintage shorts, and it's just really, really great. I especially like Sunday Night at the Trocadero and Robert Benchley's Academy Award-winning How to Sleep. Uh, those are great, great shorts. You got Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland and Santa Fe Trail. Oh, yeah. Again, this is you know directed by Mar uh, 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 by uh, Michael Curtiz. Uh, it's just you're, this is the star power here. It's just pure classic Hollywood star power from uh, 1940. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> great film classic Errol Flynn picture it's you know I don't know what else to tell you about it I mean it's uh, you know it's a, it's a George Custer yeah, thing yeah. and uh, and you know uh, who plays Custer Ronald yeah. Reagan there yeah. you go Ronald Reagan plays Custer <laughs> uh, there's, there's some there's some there's some novel stuff in that uh, Eye of the Devil I had never actually seen before. Eye of the Devil is one of those uh, creepy chillers from the late 1960s where they were trying to make things at the studio level that were a little bit exploitation. Yeah, but of and course, you know, Sharon Sarah, Tate. Sharon Tate mm -hmm. is in this. Deborah Carr, Donald Pleasance, David Niven, uh, David Hemmings. It's a great cast. It's based on a, a novel called Day of the Arrow by Philip Lorraine. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was directed by Jay Lee Thompson. Mm -hmm. And so it's got real credentials, and yet it feels kind of really low-budget, creepy, gothic, horror-y. Yeah. And um, the whole thing takes place around this French chateau and these, these vineyards. And um, 
there are um, occult happenings going on that, as they always do, whenever you get into these very sophisticated, like Get Out was kind <laughs> yeah. of riffing on yeah. this to a to a significant degree. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of, uh, of of Eye of the Devil and Get Out. There's a lot of Wicker Man kind of split between them. You know, anytime you you get to a place where everyone, you could even say. Uh, uh, um, uh, what was the uh, the follow up to uh, mm. Shaun of the Dead? The one with the with the where where they go into the countryside and everybody's got guns. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, what was that? Was that the end? I can't. Uh, I can't. Yeah. Not not uh, the end, but uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, 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 oh uh, oh gosh, it's the one where he's always talking about bad boys. Um, <gasps> title is escaping. Oh, yeah, I'm sure yeah, our yeah. listeners are losing yeah, their minds yeah, right now. But back. anyway, it's kind of a similar thing where where you where you go to Hot Fuzz. Oh, Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Hot Fuzz. Where you go into a place where everything is supposed to be right and it's it's utterly wrong. Rosemary's baby. Rosemary's baby. Any, like any, any wicker man. It, 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 yeah. it, anytime there's going to be a, there's a pagan. What's his name? Does those movies now? More recently, I was going to Midsummer. Yeah. Is, is, is yeah is, is is like that too. It's like oh, what a lovely place. No, not really. <laughs> yeah. Give it time. Give it time. Uh, we've got, uh, Richard Dick. We got a, a double feature here by a Val Luton films, Richard Dix in the ghost ship and Boris Karloff in bedlam. <coughs> Excuse me. Again, neither of these are all that great, but if you're a fan of Val yeah. Luton, you, you'll, you'll, you'll thoroughly enjoy it. Val Luton, Val Luton, of course, pr- produced these, both of them directed by Mark Robson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, they are Val Luton. I mean, but again, Mark Robson is just kind of on board as the, director and name yeah. Val Luton, like David Selznick, very much a, a producer who imposed his, yeah. uh, his sensibilities on things. So Val Luton, kind of a, uh, an epic cat classic genre. Yeah. Cat people, genre, great genre person. So a couple of kind of underrated, uh, Val Luton pictures, the ghost ship and bedlam, not terrible, but not great either. Yeah. Uh, Dustin Hoffman straight time. Oh yeah. His thing. One of his tougher, better, grittier performances uh, from uh, like 1978, I think this was. Uh, yeah, he, you know, he's 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 kind of going back to Ratso Rizzo a little bit in this, but um, it's it's a really good, tough, gritty, gritty film, gritty character. Young Teresa Russell looks amazing in this. Gary Busey, young mm. Gary Busey, Harry Dean Stanton. It was meant to be. Uh, Dustin's uh, and it, it is the only film that he ever directed. He, he, he but Uli Grossbard uh, had came in and, and, and oh, Dustin was supposed to. Direct Dustin it. did direct this mostly. Oh, uh, he, 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 uh, because Dustin uh, fired himself. He quit. He couldn't do it. Uh, oh and uh, so, so, so uh, it, it was this moment when a few. I think Jack Nicholson had made a film. Jack Nicholson only ended up directing two, but Dustin, Dustin uh, started out as director on this film and, uh, and and realized that he was no director and he never directed again. Wow. Well, I'll tell you. Actually, he did, direct, did, he did direct something a few years ago, didn't he? Uh, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But, but, oh, yeah. He may have. It may, maybe. Uh, uh, just some, just yeah. saw, like in the, in the last five, six, seven years. And so it was this and well, that. I'm sure all of that is on the commentary. There's commentary here with uh, Hoffman and Grossbard that I did not have a chance to listen to, but I'm sure that is all recounted there. Yeah. Quartet back um, in 2012. Yeah. And, That's right. I remember and, that. And this in 78. Yeah. Interesting. We've got more uh, fantastic droopy and other Tex Avery shorts on Tex Avery Screwball Classics Volume 3. Just keeps getting better and better and better. Um, there are just, I mean, some. I, I wish they had released all these things at the same time. But Deputy Droopy, I'm so thrilled to finally have that on Blu-ray. And, and Deputy Droopy is just 
one of the funniest bits of animation ever created. That is here on volume three. Uh, just a few others here to, to pound through. The legendary The Last of Sheila. This is worth mentioning again with West Side Story coming out. Yeah. Why? Because this screenplay is the only screenplay ever written or co-written by Stephen Sondheim. Yeah. This is a fantastic kind of crazy whodunit thriller that just is, is one of the great screenplays of all time. It's a little bit dated. It was made in the early, 30, early 70s, 73. Mm-hmm. So the clothes, the sound, the, yeah, look, the film stock, it all looks really dated. With Richard but Benjamin man, at his at the height of his, you know. I you know, know. What a yeah. great, I mean, but what a great script. Written by Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins. Perkins. Of all people, yeah. Like that's, and, and I mean, if you think about great screenplays, I'm not necessarily putting those two together <laughs> no. on it. But what a what fascinating uh, producer and directed by Herbert mm-hmm. Ross, normally a musical guy, of course, funny, funny lady and footloose and stuff like that. But uh, theme song sung by Bette Midler mm-hmm. and a cast that includes Richard Benjamin, mm-hmm. Diane Cannon, mm-hmm. James Mason, Raquel Welch, Ian McShane, really young, uh, James Coburn. He's so young. Uh, so phenomenal. I mean, a great cast. Really, really terrific. So uh, before you get too hung up on some of these new new whodunits and, and uh, the new thrillers, they're all kind of trying to emulate this. It's very, very Agatha Christie-ish, but I'd almost say even better. Yeah. So The Last of Sheila. Man, it's a really terrific I love movie. that movie. Um, we've got uh, Sylvia Sidney and Spencer Tracy in Fury. Co-starring Walter Brennan. I can't ever say Walter Brennan's name without thinking of uh, the guy in Good Morning Vietnam and laughing about it. But uh, this is a, this is a pretty great American film by Fritz Long. I still think Fritz Long did better German films than American mm. films. But you know, a lot of a lot of great uh, power here. Fritz Long co-wrote it with uh, Bartlett Cormack, produced by Joe Mankiewicz. Uh, you know the other Mankiewicz, and yeah. uh, it's 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 a pretty good tough hard-boiled um, American kind of pseudo-noir. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a lot to say about the justice system, and uh, which was you know, already r- really being challenged in, in, at the time and, and how it was uh, not dispensing justice necessarily impartially. Um, you know, the, the whole concept of, uh, of, of mob justice, very, very much a part of this mm. great commentary by Peter Bogdanovich, who gives you all the backstory on this. It's a really, really, I mean, amazing historical context to this. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good solid film again, not, you know, as, uh, in terms of directing, I think Fritz Long is kind of a hired hand, mm. but Spencer Tracy's terrific. And, uh, it's all yeah, it's kind of, kind of, kind of uh, a little bit pre, pre more gangster than noir, but still it has that look. More gang. That's it. It's, it's more gangstery than it's kind of like between the two yeah, genres a little yeah. bit. Uh, then we've got uh, some came running with Frank Sinatra, Dean oh. Martin and Shirley MacLaine. Love this movie. Mm. So much fun. Directed by Vincent Minnelli in his prime uh, late 1950s. And uh, it's just, this is just absolutely terrific. Um, you know, it's a, it's a melodrama. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, uh, but it, it's just, it, it has that like late fifties kind of Douglas Sirkian melodrama feel to it without being syrupy. Vincent Minnelli always brought kind of a, a shiny disposition to a lot of these things. There's always a, a, a sunny side to the yeah. things based on a James Jones novel, James Jones, who of course wrote uh, thin red mm-hmm. line and from here to eternity. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it has certainly his larger than life sensibility to it. Um, and uh, you know, I think Shirley MacLaine, 
playing this this you know vulnerable young girl as she did. It was just absolutely wonderful. I love it. It's a really really great yeah. great melodrama from the period. Oh my god, yeah. Last two here, uh, Barbara Stanwyck and Ladies They Talk About. Uh, not exactly one of her more famous parts. This is a 1933 pre-code, just barely pre-code. Uh, and uh, this is also kind of a, you know, a, a prison melodrama sorts, I guess, maybe the way to put it. Um, but it's all about, uh, you know, um, bad girls and bad men and being able to redeem yourself uh, when society and, and yeah. prison deal you a deal you a bad a bad card. Uh, but you know, it's, it's a, I mean, it's, it's like a step above the poverty row mm. films and the usual crime films of the, of the era. And, and Stanwyck is very, very good. And then lastly, the window, which was an RKO film from uh, 1949 when RKO was really kind of trying to establish its, its style and its brand. And you know, how, how are we different from Warner brothers? How are we different from MGM? How are we different from Columbia? And uh, I'm not quite sure that this really does it. It still feels, now that it's part of the Warner Library, it still feels almost more like a Warner Brothers film. But um, when, you, when, you, when you look at it, you're like, well, okay, RKO had a, <clears throat> a slightly different take on noir. Mm. Um, it, it's a little bit more humanistic. You know, there's a, there's a kid angle here. Um, it's a little bit more sort of, you know, it's about basically about a, a, this kid. It's, it's uh, you know, the, the boy that cried yeah. Kind of taken to a noir level, and uh, the fact that it's all being kind of filtered through the eyes of this boy uh, who claims that he saw murder that nobody believes—that actually kind of it softens it and gives a little bit of more of a yeah. humanistic element to it. Barbara so, Hale, uh, of course, uh, before uh, Barbara Hale, Bobby Driscoll, before, uh, what Perry Mason before Perry Mason? Yes, yeah, yeah. yes, yeah. So the window, very interesting, uh, kind of uh, RKO take on noir at the time all right there we go uh tim what 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 uh, where should we go uh, dude, i'm gonna cheat and pop over to the 4ks uh and, and so, so so final fantasy uh, uh oh my gosh. man 2000 2020 years uh final fantasy uh, i imagine there has to be some interesting uh stuff on that yeah uh, uh, two two commentaries, outtakes, uh, Matt Art explorations, uh, an interactive documentary, and digital movie code for uh, movies. Anyway, mm, yeah, um, Alden, one of the voices there, of course, Steve Buscemi. Yeah. Uh, interesting man. I don't know. Final Fantasy at the time took a kind of a beating, critically speaking. But over the years, it seems to have become you know a sort of a sort of anime of some repute. I mean, or yeah, am I reading that wrong? I, it, I I don't get it. I really don't. I mean, uh, watch this for just a little bit, just to kind of get a sense of the, the the HDR on it, which looks. I don't know if it looks great or not. I mean, it's because it's so photorealistic. Mm. It's it's tough to sort of. It doesn't. You know, like like what would this look like if it were live action? And I, I don't know. So I mean, you know that it, it just photorealism makes it hard to judge versus actual photography versus actual CG. Mm. You know, it's some, it kind of tries to split the difference between the two to such a degree that it, that I, I, I'm kind of lost as to what the whole deal is. But anyway, you know, clearly this thing has a massive following. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For a moment, that was the thing. The, 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 uh, the Suicide Squad, the oh, Suicide Squad, hell. right? Yeah, what a mess. Yeah. I look, James Gunn out of St. Louis, so, you know, one of my people. Uh, but that movie just, I'm sorry, was just all over the place. And, uh, you know, and, you know, MacGuffin's galore. 
but somehow the, the point of the movie became the MacGuffins. Um, um, and I, it, yeah. so anyway, I, yeah, but what, what, what did you think? I, I hated the first one. Uh, I don't know that I, you know, I, I, people keep saying like, well, wait and see the David Ayer cut. The David Ayer cut will show up one day. It's like, oh, okay, maybe it will. But I, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I still don't think I like the characters. I don't like the premise. <laughs> no, I don't and like I, the characters. I'm more convinced. I'm more convinced than ever that the problem here is the premise because, you know, they, they've swapped a lot of characters out and brought some new characters in, you know, Will Smith isn't here yeah. anymore. Um, but they brought John Cena and, and, um, uh, and Idris Elba in playing new characters and, you know, and, and, and it, it just, I mean, there it's just like, okay, yeah, we still have Harley yeah. Quinn. She's, she's back and she steals the movie. She's got an amazing, I mean, the best part of the movie is, is this like insane scene where she just rips through people like a knife through mm. cheese. But um, look, you know, they've also added King Shark. Yeah. Well, you know, King Shark here, that's where he gives it away. James Gunn is basically just substituting, DC characters for the Guardians of the yeah. Galaxy. King Shark is 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 basically Groot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's say they, I don't have Groot. Okay, I'm going to use King Shark, but I'm my King Shark is the King Shark from the Flash TV yeah. show, yeah. which is huge and menacing and muscle bound. And here he's just a big oaf that like and and and, 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 and a MacGuffin, as is Pete Davidson's character, as totally. is as oh, is Michael was, Rooker's yeah. character. You know, they're just these. You know, the, and, yeah. and 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 I'm like, really? Is that what we're actually doing? Know. You know, uh, and uh, so 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 and lots of look. It doesn't look great, I guess. I mean, it's got a lot of CG. I don't think the 4K necessarily serves the CG very well, to be honest. I think it kind of exposes it uh, in a bad way. Um, I had a harder time sort of seeing the seams uh, when I saw it projected. So in this case, I got to, it's maybe I sat too close to the <laughs> anyway. Uh, gag reel, deleted scenes, extended scenes, all kinds of featurettes on here, um, behind the scenes stuff. None of, and the director's commentary, which I did not listen to. None of which will be interesting unless you like the movie, which I don't. Uh, the Hills Have Eyes. Uh, from uh, from Arrow, the, the old Wes Craven classic. So it, oh, that I got to tell you, I was thinking, yeah, the original Hills okay. Have Eyes. Michael Berryman and his freaking crazy weird yeah. head. Um, the, the the original, uh, you know, Cannibal Hillbilly capturing the, the, the motorists movie. So, look, here's the thing. Tons of extras I can't even get into. It's like there's a commentary with Wes Craven and Peter Locke. I couldn't even listen mm. to it. Another one with uh, Michael Coven. Didn't have time to listen to it. Gobs of interviews. I watched a couple of them. The the one with uh, uh, composer Don Peak is really interesting, to be honest. Like, really fascinating about the score. Uh, there's an alternate ending. Oh. There's like all, there's so much stuff on here, a 40 page booklet, everything that you ever want to know. And a lot of stuff that you didn't about the Hills have eyes. But here's the thing. My big question was, this was a low budget West Craven exploitation mm. horror film at the mm. time. How is this? I mean, does this film that was shot in like a minute and a half on, you know, 35 millimeter film, how is this going to look in a 4k deluxe transfer with HDR. Is it going to show me all, of, all the all flaws? Of, yeah. No way, yeah. man. I'll tell you, this film looks better than yeah. ever. They don't make it look too pretty. They let it still be gritty, but I, I felt like I was watching it projected. That's fantastic. It's really, really, it's really, really good. Uh, Candyman, the new Candyman. Yeah. 
Jordan Peele produced Candyman. Did this did this need to happen? Uh, well, no, not, not not so far as I was concerned. And 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 while I understand I understand how they wanted to sort of um re- reset it, uh, not 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 physically, it's still in Chicago, uh, but want to want to reset it culturally because uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff in this movie about about gentrification. Um, uh, all of that was a little too obvious for me. And I got to tell you, the thing about the, uh, the, the first Candyman movie, the, the, the wonderful t- Tony Todd, of course, I remember doing the, I did the junket for that film and, and interviewed him. And, and it was kind of an, it was kind of an interesting sort of, sort of adaptation of all that Bernard Rose adapting all of that. And, you know, it's like all that, yeah. you know, all of that thing, that thing into the mirror, you know, says name this many, Bernard Rose came up with all of that. That was not in the book. That's a Clive Bark. That's an adaptation of a Clive Barker. Interesting uh, uh, thing, and it, it, that was all. That was all Bernard. That Rose was stuff. all Bernard Rose stuff. You know, the, 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 the other film, Candyman, wasn't black. He was all. It was all in London, of course, because you know, but, yeah, uh, and all that kind of stuff. So, so uh, all of that sort of urban myth stuff is actually the creation of Bernard Rose in in the middle nineties. Uh, wow. uh, and I had no idea. So, you know, it's, 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 so it's a sort of interesting sort of thing, but I don't, all of that is more interesting to me than uh, the sort of new story imposed in this film that really has to do with gentrification and, and, um, and, ah, you know, whatever. I, I could live without out that. I, I'm, I'm, you know, um, uh, the horror for the, for the horror's sake is my favorite kind of horror. Uh, horror that happens to have interwoven within it some some uh, yeah, some sort of notion uh, about whatever uh, relevant thing is 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 fine, um, but it really needs to hide that stuff from me. If I can see it, I don't like it. Yeah. Um, uh, the new Halloween film do, uh, does that. It wants to make this some sort of commentary about the reason for Michael Myers and you know blah blah yeah. blah blah. I'm like no. It's bullshit. <laughs> you know, Michael Myers is just a fucking supernatural fucker who's been, you know, on a killing spree for 40 yeah. years. That's all it is. And that's all it needs to be. And I, and I would prefer uh, Candyman. You know, just, just Candyman. It's all you say is, you say the name, he comes out, he kills everybody. That's it. So I'm a big fan of Henry Golding. Oh, I love Henry Golding. I think Henry Golding is mad talented. Uh, when he kind of burst on the scene in Crazy Rich Asians, I was, I'm like, this guy can do anything. Stick him in anything. I'll, I'm there. He's charismatic. He's funny. He's romantic. He's good looking. I bet he's got range like nobody's yeah. business. And he does, but he should not have made Snake yeah. Eyes G.I. Joe Origins. Uh, this is not his no. fault. It's just that, you know, the whole G.I. The, the attempt to repeatedly try to force a G.I. Joe universe yeah. on us by Paramount yeah. is fraught. And uh, this is just not a good film. It's not well written. I mean, does it look great on 4K? I guess, you know, I mean, it's it's high budget and it's got, you know, CGI galore and action sequences, but it's just not a very interesting world. These are toys yeah. and they're never going to make these these G.I. Joe they, characters. They, they think anyway. they can somehow force it into being the Transformers franchise. Uh, yeah, uh, but but but, but no, uh, uh, it, it, there is no such thing as a GI Joe franchise. They tried to make it funny the first time around with with one of those one, one of those <laughs> Wayans brothers, you know, telling yeah. This time they tried to make it sort of serious and dark, and uh, and no, it's over. Cut it out. I will say this, and I can, I'm going to keep preaching this to everybody. Henry Golding. Yeah. Should be Simon Templer. He should play the saint. Whoever has the franchise for the saint, cast Henry Golding. And let me explain this to you. Because we keep talking about things like, oh, James Bond. Could James Bond be a woman? Could James Bond be black? Could James Bond, well, he's been Scottish. and He'll probably be Scottish again because they're going to take that guy from Outlander. I swear the guy from Outlander is going to be the next James Bond. You heard it here. But, But here's the thing. 
Look, Simon Templer, the Saint, originally played by Roger yeah. Moore, based on the on the Leslie Charteris. Mm. Uh, yeah, book. Val Kilmer did okay. the movie, but you know. Val Kilmer did it, and they, and they're doing it again with an American. The one thing, the one freaking thing that Simon Templer cannot be is American. He has to yeah. be British. But can he be British and Asian yeah, or half Asian? Yeah. Well, yes, he can. Yeah. Do you know why? Because Leslie Charteris, who created Simon Templer, was half Chinese. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. Leslie Charteris's mom, Chinese. So there you go. Leslie Charteris would love the idea. Leslie Charteris sitting in heaven, maybe in hell. I don't know wherever <laughs> he is. But wherever Leslie Charteris is, somewhere in the universe, if you cast Henry Golding very as Simon Templer, it would make him very, very, very happy. happy. So there yeah. you go. And he needs a good one, too, uh, uh, Henry. Uh, uh, he does. That, you know, if, if, if not a series, certainly. Um, uh, he's, he's, he's born to play Simon yeah. Templer, dude. You could Great have a voice. franchise. You could let... Oh, he could play all, everything that Roger Moore did well on the TV series. Yeah. Golding could do tenfold. He is he's a thousand times the actor that, that Roger. He has more charm. He has more more kind of wily instincts. Oh, so he'd be so much oh, better. Yeah. Um, we got a couple of DC uh, animated yeah. movies here. DC. Well, one is it. I, look, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't know the difference in the branding. Mm. So I'm just going to say this right up. Batman year one in a commemorative edition. Yeah animated yeah. is a DC universe movie on 4k injustice mm -hmm. is a DC animated mm -hmm. movie. They are very clear that these things are mm -hmm. different. I do not understand the difference in the branding. I really don't. Uh, but they're both very good. I think, uh, you know, Batman year one is, is fine. Uh, it, it, it's, you know, it, it, it dates kind of, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't blow me away. We've done so much with Batman. It doesn't feel like this is really stretching or doing anything significantly different uh, from what we're really accustomed to. Um, you know, it's like, you know, Bruce Wayne has been running around not being Batman for a while and he comes back and everything kind of falls into place again as, as it did before a Catwoman shows up. There's nothing really, really novel about it, but a lot of people love this. However, Injustice is, is very, very interesting from a story standpoint. And, um, the, the, here, you know, it's uh, the, the, the justice league is at odds with itself and, you know, Joker has this master plan to kind of screw everything up. And, um, you know, Superman is kind of lost his mind and it's all, it's all, it's all very melodramatic and soapy and <laughs> kind of, but, but, but I'll, yeah. I'll tell you this, it's, it's really interesting. Everything that they do in it. Um, is exactly what was done in the graphic novel of the same name. So it brings all of these really mm. interesting story elements together. It's quite impressive. It's very kind of alternate universe DC stuff. So that's why I, I, I can vouch for Injustice, which also has some some uh, really, really interesting special and features voices. on the Blu-ray, um, a thing called Adventures in Storytelling, Injustice, Crisis, and Conflict, and then some bonus cartoons. Yeah. And then last in the 4K, uh, Tim, Maniac Cop 2 Ooh. and 3. Maniac Cop, the original, has already been released. Yeah, uh, so they've decided to go 4K with the rest of the trilogy, yeah. um, I, I, it, which kind of surprises me. This is from Blue Underground. Yeah. Uh, you know, the Maniac yeah. Cop, did we really need a, a 4K trilogy of Maniac Cop? Oh, yeah, Cop? I think you do. I think <laughs> <laughs> I uh, Bill, Bill Lustig, yeah. Bill Lustig made these yeah. films. Um, Larry, Larry, and, Larry Cohen uh, wrote the first one anyway. Yes. And uh, Larry Cohen also wrote and produced the second one. But here, the, the thing that I find so interesting about this is that that Maniac Cop 3, which 
I'm fairly which which was also written by Larry Cohen and produced by Larry Cohen. I'm I'm fairly confident that this was still directed by Bill Lustig, mm. but the, the direction credit is Alan Smithy. Oh well. So yeah. so so I'm I'm thinking that maybe the film was taken away from him and Larry Cohen went a little crazy on it. I don't know. Uh, hard to know. I think they're all kind of the same. I don't. I don't think Maniac Cop three is is. I mean, I don't think any of them are very good. But I don't think three is so much worse than one and two that someone needed to take an Alan Smith. Well, it's an interesting thing. Yeah, uh, don't know. IMDb William plus a guy named Joel Joel Soyerson, uh who's going yeah. on credit, and you know with Larry there, and I and, you know I don't know what that that first movie is eighty eight. The the, uh, the 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 second one was ninety. This one was ninety two. You know. Uh, and you're yeah. right. They're all literally the same movie. Uh, this one, the three had Robert Davi in it and, and he sort of, he sort of brought, took it up a notch. And of course, Robert, Robert yeah. Davi was a good actor, you know, particularly, you know, back in the old nights, and a few people, stuff like that. But basically it was all about that big face actor, uh, you know, Robert Dazar. Um, who, who, oh, had, yeah, with the jaw, with the jaw and, and that was his actual face. And, uh, he, you know, he passed back in 2015. And I, I, uh, I just always thought, you know, you know what? If you got that face, you know what? I'm going to be a movie star. Uh, I'm going to play a villain. And he did it in a whole crap load of movies. Uh, I met, I met Robert Zadar. Yeah? Oh. I was a production, I was a production assistant on The Legend of Wolf Mountain. The L.A. unit, oh. because it shot out of L.A. for the rest of it. The L.A. unit. I'll tell the, the rest of the story again someday. I'm, I'm sure I told this like 20 years ago. But, but man, what a <laughs> what a uh, <coughs> what a wild experience that was. Anyway, Robert Zadar was uh, was one of the actors on that oh. crazy thing. Boy, what a what a ridiculous, unprofessional movie. <laughs> what was it? <laughs> it really, really was. Uh. I mean, I mean, truly. Like, yeah, I'll just share this. Like, you know. Tim, when you shoot in a movie, you need to have a, a, a somebody. You you need to have a script supervisor, yeah. right? Yeah. Keeping track for the editor so that yeah. you know your paperwork's in order. When you invent an LA unit to shoot stuff for no particularly good reason, and there is no script supervisor, and one of the producers is directing the LA unit to build his own reel and the other producer and the other producer basically has a little folded piece of paper from his back pocket. And he's keeping track of what you're shooting. He's doing the script supervisor uh, thing. I'm sorry. Like student films don't even, this is not gonna it's well, like, this is not gonna like, like, like spend, spend a buck 50, get yourself somebody to do it. Right. I mean, really not, not just like, Oh, this scene too. The, oh That's gosh. Funny. Horrible. Oh my uh, let's do some new movies real quick. Man of God. Did you see Man of God with uh, Elijah Wood? Uh, no, I did not see Man of God. So how? So, so, so how? Uh, you know, this is a, this is a Ted Bundy thing. Oh, uh, oh, oh you- I might have seen that. I actually, now that yeah. you mention it, I think I did see that and because it's not really about, uh, uh, it's about the guy who's playing it's about the about profiler. profiler. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Elijah Wood is the profiler. Um, really, really interesting. I mean, it's it's about the relationship specifically, uh, and it gets into serial killer psychology and all that stuff. But very, very interesting. Elijah Wood and Luke Kirby, yeah. um, and and you know Ted Bundy, the the guy who was supposed to get to like they like pull the truth out of Ted Bundy. So it's a little bit of a chess match between two guys, psychology and all that stuff. Very interesting. Not like all that TV profiler stuff, which is very like you know kind of hackneyed and, and forced. This is very interesting, very true to yeah, life. Yeah, well, so he's a real, um, he was a real guy. And he was, he was, I think he was sort of like the first FBI profiler. And, 
and you know, and uh, it's it, had, it was really, really very interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. Very interesting. We also have a uh, Spirit Quest, which is uh, which is a pretty fun little comedy from uh, Gravitas uh, Ventures. Gravitas releases a ton of stuff. Gravitas, uh, did they just get sold? I think they just got bought by some kind of a sports film company. Mm. Uh, if I'm not in, I, I, I'm pretty sure just yesterday, just like yesterday, they announced this big sale. So I think Gravitas has changed hands, but um, nonetheless. This is about uh, a couple of guys who go to the desert to, you know, do some mushrooms and uh, everything kind of the the experience um, turns into a spirit quest as per the movie. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> kind of a drug. I mean, there you go. It's a, it's a, it's a buddy movie. It's a drug trip movie. Um, but there's a little bit of poignancy to it as well. And it still manages to be funny. So, you know, kind of a, um, a slacker comedy like uh, Link Ladder used to make, uh, but uh, it's not bad. Not bad at all. Spirit Quest on Blu-ray. Um, Stillwater. Did you see Stillwater? Yeah. Yeah, I did see Stillwater. What you I, think I, I, think, I think that we were all meant to be to be talking about this movie, thinking about and talking about this movie right now as we as we move into awards season. Uh, and but somehow it just did not seem to connect. I thought I thought Matt Damon gave a really sort of intro. He's this, he's this Oklahoma guy who has this daughter who's who's uh, in uh, where is it in Italy? I think in Italy. Uh, and yeah, it's based it's based on the whole. Um, uh, yeah, it was Amanda. Amanda Bynes playing the, based on that the whole thing so loosely, and uh, and he's and um, and because she's accused of having you know committed this sort of murder. And uh, and he travels there to, to and ends up trying to do this whole detective thing, and it's all it's all very serious and and and, and is loosely based on that. But I tell you, there was just a, a whole lot of acting going on in this movie, a whole lot of yeah. performance in this movie, and um and I and I don't know, all of that just got in in, in the way of uh you know this 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 uh, this loosely based on a, a true story. Sort of film, um, and yeah, it, it just sort of telegraphed itself in these ways that I, that I, which I don't think we're talking about it right now. So, so I think I, uh, here's what I think. I think as, as an Oscar, fo- a, a best picture follow up for Tom McCarthy, it's really, really hard to to you know come out of the gate with a second one and hit a yeah. home run. Uh, so I think, given that, I, I thought it was a, a very good Tom McCarthy film. I like him as a filmmaker. I think it's very much in you know in the in the pocket with his body of work. I think Matt Damon's great. I think Matt Damon stands a very good chance of being Oscar nominated. It's a very rich, rich performance. And apart from that, I absolutely loved the fact that it takes place in Marseille, Marseille. in France. Man. Yes, it's Marseille as the background. And I love that because I lived in Marseille. So I felt like I was home again. I know just about every place that they, they shot. I'm like, I, you chose the right city. It's beautiful. You, Notre Dame de la Garde on the hill, the whole thing. I mean, I thoroughly enjoy that. But does it all come together? Probably not, I think, for the reasons you very smartly outlined. But uh, I like the fact that there's also a, a featurette on here that goes to the locations in Marseille. And I really mm-hmm. love that. So I'm, I'm going to probably watch that more than the movie. 
Uh, Tim, did you see Jungle Cruise? Yeah, you know, and it's still funny. Still funny to me. I'm sorry. You know, I mean, a lot of times we do you know, these sort of, uh, you know, these movies. And, and uh, oh, wait a minute. You know what? I'm sorry. Jungle Cruise. That's the, that's that one with, uh, I, you know what I was thinking of? With, with, with Dwayne Johnson. Going, no, this is Dwayne Johnson. Oh, this, this yeah. Is the fake, yeah. This is the, 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 the fake African queen uh, movie. Uh, <laughs> that, you're, <laughs> that, you're, that you're talking that you're talking about here uh, uh so 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 here's here here's here's the thing i had a very interesting experience first seeing jungle cruise and first of all let me just say let me let me just get into the extras here because there are some some worthwhile extras here the the making of jungle cruise is actually a really really good featurette and uh it, it's it's like you know it's very slick and polished and and i thought it was very interesting there are some things that it, it led me to appreciate that i did probably not appreciate watching mm-hmm. the film originally uh, and outtakes and deleted scenes and, and some, you know, some other behind the scenes stuff, which is, which is, is all quite good and movie movies anywhere uh, code. So got this on Blu-ray and uh, watched the extras. Fair enough. Decided to, to, to watch a little bit of the movie again. And um, because here was the first experience with it. I had to review it for radio no. and for, for film week. And we had family visiting and uh, Hero's little cousins were in town. And I thought, oh, Jungle Cruise, the kids all love. They love going to, to Disneyland and going on to Jungle Cruise, <laughs> which is a nice family adventure. Why don't we all together watch Jungle oh, Cruise? My wife, my wife, her sister, her niece, the, 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 the two little cousins, you know, like everybody. Oh, we're all going to have a great time watching Jungle Cruise, family thing. And I looked at it, and of course, you know, I saw a PG-13 mm-hmm. Or sequences of adventure violence. Mm. And I thought, well, you know, I mean, the kids have seen, like, it can't be that bad. It's Jungle Cruise, you know, they've gone on the ride. Yeah. We've seen, you know, they've seen Star Wars movies and Harry Potter movies that are PG-13. Yeah. It'll be fine. And I'll be honest, like the first about hour of the movie, I was okay with it. You know, I thought there was some fun stuff. Dwayne Johnson's great. Emily Blunt is great. It's got that African queenie thing mm. with a little feminist bent to mm. it. And the, 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 you know, the, the period recreation is, is fun and all of that geographical society of London stuff is fun and all that stuff. And, um, you know, Jesse Plemons is a, is a great villain and, and Ed, Edgar Ramirez is, is, is really good. Like, you know, everybody's kind of bringing, coming to play. And then, man, this thing just takes the gnarliest, <laughs> darkest, turns sideways into Pirates of the Caribbean zombie territory where, like, ancient dead people and Edgar Ramirez is sort of key to this whole thing where, where the ancient dead Spaniards and Aztecs are all coming back to life again. They're reanimated by the whole Raiders of the Lost Arky thing going on. And it all, it all just goes south at that point. <laughs> and, and snakes are crawling out of skull eye sockets. And that's when the kids started crying and it's like, okay, we're going to bed. And dude, my daughter would not go on the jungle cruise ride at Disneyland for months because of that. She didn't want to go back on the ride. We're like, but you went on it when you were two. She's freaking out. She's like, oh, the, the movie was haunting yeah. her. And I, all I could think was, man, Disney really, I mean, really that blew that. Been, man, they blew that yeah. one. So upsetting. Yeah, taking, so if you're upsetting. Disney, taking, but you know what? That's the problem of not having all those units that they used to have back in the day. You I know, know. Hollywood pictures and this where you can they could figure out where to put in that. Now it's you know, and and then yeah. sometimes that's not the right choice. That is not the right choice. 
R E S P E C T. Respect. R E S P E C T. How do we feel about Jennifer Hudson winning? Do, do, I was going to say, do you think she's going to be in the run? We're starting to get all these movies now. There are a lot of heavy duty dramas out there. Now we're coming off the heels of, uh, of, uh, you know, the big, um, um, uh, biopic win, uh, of, uh, of, uh, Rami. Uh, now yeah. for, uh, for for Queen, the yes. guy from Queen, Freddie. For yeah. I, 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 and, and, and of course we had um, um, uh, Chadwick. Uh, um, uh, yeah. so I don't know if we're if we're at a spot where 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 we're going to do. I, I feel like this is going to be one of those I, heavy drama years. I feel like that gal from. Um, uh, I feel like Spencer probably yeah. like like she's she's going to win for playing Diana yeah. in Spencer. Yeah. I feel like that's. The odds on favorite right now. Um, she's never won an Oscar. Kristen's yeah, never won yeah, an Oscar. Yeah, it's going to yeah, be redemption. Yeah. For Kristen Stewart. There's going to be redemption for for Twilight. Yeah. They'll be like, okay, you paid your dues. Now we'll yeah, give you, we'll give you an Oscar. Jennifer Hudson has an Oscar. However, I do think she should be in the running yeah. here because I think this is a really. Uh, first of all, I, I you know we talked about the um, uh, the television. Cynthia uh, uh, Riva. Yes, where Cynthia Reeve, which is longer and a little bit more elaborate, but I feel like this captures Aretha Franklin's soul mm. better. I feel like um, Jennifer Hudson, and it could be because Cynthia Revo is not American, mm. Mm. right? They're, they're, you know, I feel like Jennifer Hudson, her life, her life experience, her background, her family, probably she connects to Aretha. Mm. More and, and, and literally, literally, literally knew her very well. Uh, you know, you, you had that actual endorsement from Aretha to play here. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting uh, uh, to see what the mood is uh, of the Academy with respect to all of these things this year. Last year, of course, Nomad Land, this tiny little movie. So yeah. I, somehow I feel like this year, uh, this year's Academy Awards are going to be about big things. Uh, big yeah. big movies with big big movie stars, and uh, and and I don't know. I I, I kind of feel like the tiny was last year, and this year it's all going to be about big <coughs> things. We, we shall see. We shall see. Well, in any case, I really really do love respect. I think it's uh, I think this is a very very good film, a really rock solid biopic. The the um the scenes where the songs are coming together. Mm are so beautifully executed where everybody kind of where, especially all the stuff down muscle Shoals, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. And I love that they, they kind of tell a little bit of the story of muscle Shoals here as well. And, and um, I think where everybody's kind of bringing the little pieces and they're, they're changing the song a little and upping the tempo and, you know, bringing the drums a little earlier and give me a riff on the guitar and all that stuff. And then, a re- and, and you see the way that Aretha was not just someone who came in and sang to what was produced yeah, yeah. That, that she, she insisted that everything, I mean, she was kind of the orchestra conductor yeah. and her voice was, was, was sort of the, the piece, the mortar that brought it all together, very much in control of the songwriting, the recording process, really, inter- yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Um, what a life, what a, what a great life, a little bit like, you know, what, what's love got to do with it, but I think this is a better film. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. Better. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Uh, what else we got up here? Let's see. Uh, under new movies, uh, bestsellers. Oh yeah! Did you see bestsellers? Yeah, wonderful. Michael Caine uh, and all the just, yeah, just this whole sort of interesting sort of sort of sort of cast there uh, at work. Uh, Michael 
with with Aubrey uh, Plaza. Plaza. I, I, yeah, it's just very good. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this is not on Blu-ray. I wish it were. It should be. It's not like a brilliant visual thing or anything, but it, it should have a Blu-ray option. Um, I, I don't know if Michael Caine will will get an Oscar nomination for this. I think the film will kind of fall between yeah. the cracks, but it's a, it's a lovely, lovely plot. Basically, Aubrey Plaza inherits her dad's uh, publishing yeah. empire, and it's on the rocks. And the only way that she has to resurrect it is to go dig up this crusty old alcoholic widower who who's like a you know he's a jerk and is played by Michael Caine, and he's he hasn't written a book in like you know forty fifty years, but he still owes him one under his old contract. So. You know, you suddenly have the mis- mismatched buddy yeah. thing. It's a, and I on the radio I said basically it's forty eight yeah. hours, <laughs> except instead of instead of you know a cop thing, it's a publishing thing. But you know, Michael Caine is is Eddie Murphy, yeah. and and Aubrey Plaza is Nick Nolte, and and that's what it is. And it and and but I just think it's wonderful. I really think yeah. it's wonderful. It has a lot to say about art and, and artists, and, and yeah. I love it. I think it's a great film. Prisoners of the Ghostland, Nicolas Cage. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, look, uh, every now and again, Nick Nick has, and this is interesting. Nick has the Cassavetes and thing. Every now and again, Nick has one. You know, um, uh, Willy Willy's Wonderland, and, 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 and yeah, whatever. where they go completely. Uh, this is not necessarily one of those. This is just you know, this is, this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is just a movie, and yes, it's wacky, and Nicolas Cage is in it, but it, that doesn't necessarily mean you want to go ahead and and jump into this one. This is directed. This is directed by uh, Sin Sono, the uh, Japanese director, who's a little bit like if David Lynch um, were l- totally lacking in any self control or or artistic discipline. <laughs> Sono, Sono's movies are just they're from Mars. They're totally off the wall. I don't get them. This is like this weird kind of post apocalyptic, um, mega violent. Thing where uh, Nicolas Cage is, you know, he, he has to. I, I, I like the whole. I, I don't. I don't understand. It like he's he's in an outfit. He's in this suit. A warlord puts him in a suit that's going to kill yeah, him. The thing on his neck. Uh, yeah. If he doesn't bring the guy's daughter or niece, I yeah, forget which yeah. it is, back within a certain period of time mm. from like, I don't know. Anyway, the whole thing is really tedious and ultra violent and doesn't really make a lot of sense. Cause it's got all this weird cultural fusion, but look, Hey man, if you want to watch Nicholas Cage completely lose his mind and I guess, yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, reminiscence and Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Uh, it's okay. Yeah. Uh, Lisa Joy. Hugh Jackman's, yeah. he, he, Jackman's kind of trying to do, um, something, uh, other than than Wolverine at this yeah. point, and I I think he's ha- kind of having a hard time. Uh, he he plays a PI here, and I'm not sure I really buy him as a PI. I kind of feel like he's just too much of a movie star to me for me to buy him as Sam Spade. Um, but that's kind of what it is, sort of a modern modern Sam Spade. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's got some special features. Few few yeah. few. There's uh, a bunch uh, of whole sci-fi uh, kind of stuff in here. They would have been better off. If they had just lost all the sort of investigating mind and going into the mind, they lose all of that and just tell this as a straight. You, it, it, look, it's 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 sci-fi only because it's about, it deals in the world of yeah. memories and and lost yeah. memories and whatnot. But but otherwise, it's like it, Blade Runner. I'm sorry, maybe it's more like yeah. Blade Runner. Yeah. Little, Blade Runner is a Sam Spade movie. Yeah, too. but it has this sort of intention of being this sort of Inceptiony sort of you know. Uh, but, yeah. but like you know, get rid of all that and just you know do whatever. I don't know, whatever. You, 
Well, speaking of that, and speaking of uh, Cynthia Erivo, mm. um, uh, Needle in a Time Stack. Oh, yeah. Um, um, this is... That was a... What I, do you think? John Ridley um, uh, uh, directing... Uh, and, and, yeah. uh, and you know, and, and he and he adapted the screenplay from that from that from that short story. And it's it's it, and again, it has to, to. It seems like it has to do a Robert Silverberg Robert story, Silverberg. which is a very very which is a very famous sci-fi yeah. story. But yeah, yeah, you know, and, and Leslie Odom Jr. and, and Frida Pinto and Cynthia River, and and uh, there's there's this this there's this sort of idea that time can be changed. Uh, the little, 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 little more, and, and people can do it. They're not supposed to do it. It's against the law, right? To, to do these things where you can create these little, little changes in the ripples of time and, uh, and, and thus change all kinds of things. And people eventually sort of forget, uh, uh, you know, whom they had been and their relationships and all this. And this is sort of, you know, uh, vying for this relationship between Leslie Odom's char- character and this, and this, the white guy played by whoever. And he keeps changing the timeline and, and, and will they be able to hold their love together? together as, as, as these little time sequences keep changing. But the problem with this movie is it, it doesn't seem like a love story. Suppose this is all supposed to be a love story. You know, can this love survive? But it, it seems more like a story about obsession. You know, it's, it's not so yeah. much that he's in, in love with her as it is that he doesn't want the other guy to have her, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, 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 yeah. and, and, and it's sort of cool and cold in that way. And uh, I don't know. Anyway, so maybe it's a matter of interpretation, but it didn't feel the way I think it was intended to feel. Yeah, no, I hear you. Uh, shall we hit a few uh, a few TV things? Yeah. Anything uh, in the TV list that uh, we should? Uh, should the not? Crown season four. You tell me. Um, um, uh, uh, it just keeps getting better and better. This show is amazing. Uh, I just think I think this show is phenomenal, yeah. and it'll be interesting to see how how this sort of resonates. Uh, once Spencer comes out, because we're just we're getting inundated with you know with 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 Diana yeah. stuff, but uh, I I kind of feel like you know um, as we move into the eighties and Diana and all that stuff, it's it's still it's still working, man. It's just working really mm. beautifully. It's so well done. Um, I, you know, it'll be interesting to see where they bring this thing to a close because it's going to come right up to the present day at some point. Uh, but I, I think it's terrific. I think, uh, you know, one, it, it, it just keeps winning awards and, and people keep watching. I think it's one of the best TV shows of all time. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else well, to say. The, the, the drama of the family continues. That's for sure. I mean, with the, with, with the uh, yeah. relatively recent death of uh, Prince, Prince Philip, uh, and, yeah. uh, and the queen doesn't get younger, uh, every day. Uh, and, uh, and we know that we will be skipping, Charles and going to um, uh, what's his name? Not Harry, but the other guy, William. William, William. Uh, you know, yeah. so so a lot of this is sort of uh, you know laid out as, but it'll be interesting to see how that all sort of plays itself out. So we've got we got season one of uh, Walker, oh. the new Walker Texas Ranger. Um, did, no. I, I have not watched any of this. Have you watched? Any yeah, of this? Jared Pilecki uh, got the guy out of uh, Supernatural there, I, yeah. I, 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 and I thoroughly enjoyed him. Uh, on that sh- look I, the whole point of walker texas ranger is that he is played by chuck norris uh who exactly. for relatively speaking no reason is a texas ranger who knows a whole lot of uh, martial arts and and, and he and, and and his partner wander around texas uh kicking ass mostly with martial arts uh jared pilecki does not know martial arts he has a gun and he punches people and I'm like, that's Done. that we've we've half of the reason why I'm watching the show doesn't it's, it's not here. Uh, any, any that's way. it. No. 
up to that. That's it. No. I agree completely. That's that nails it for me. Uh, season one of Emily in Paris. This is absolutely kind of delightful. Uh, I, I just have a whole lot of fun with this. Uh, but I like Lily Collins and I and I like Paris. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a lot of fun. Uh, Darren Starr, of course, creator of Sex and the City, did this. And uh, I just think if, if, if you have a chance, watch it. This is really an awful lot of fun. Great special features, uh, mostly about Paris and some deleted scenes, which aren't really worth watching. But otherwise, I uh, stick with it. Emily in Paris, a lot of fun. I'm a Kung, I'm a Kung um, Fu fan. Uh, yeah, uh, the new the Kung, Kung Fu, Fu uh, uh, led by uh, a, a, a young woman, has nothing whatsoever to do in terms of narrative uh, with that Kung Fu that you and I, you know, David Carradine, all that. Just nothing yeah. whatsoever uh, uh, to do with it. it a, a, a contemporary, contemporarily set show. She's more or less ends yep. up being a sort of a, a detective with a few sidekicks and some love interests and her parents and brother and sister. And there's a, a through line. Uh, of the family um um uh, but you know it, it, it's just a good reason to do a whole lot of wushu and and s some stuff that's ever so slightly mystical at first um uh, the mysticism of it bugged me um uh, in in the same way that it did over in nancy drew you know the nancy drew show i started watching nancy drew and you know, there was all the sort of mysticism and ghosts and things like that and i'm like yeah. what, are what are we where are we what are we doing here but i saw i i decided to just sell like you know what just go with it because she's cute uh, and her Kung Fu is quite powerful. And, uh, and I decided to just do that instead. So I like Kung Fu. Kung Fu, complete first season. Uh, Snowpiercer yeah. the, uh, is now in its second season. I, um, uh, you know, the great thing about the original movie yeah. is that it came to yeah. an end. Because you can't drive that train around with that premise yeah. forever. I do feel like this second season, I was curious to see like how, how many seasons do you think you can get out of people yeah. on the train? And uh, clearly they believe that they can keep this going for a while. Um, and they, and they're, and they're kind of cheating it in all kinds of, you know, interesting ways, which I won't get into, but uh, still, you know, they're trying to keep that drama going. I, it's still pretty good. Mm -hmm. Jennifer Connelly is very good mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. thing. Uh, but, um, I just don't, it feels like it's starting to stretch at the seams a little bit. I think, um, I don't know. Snowpiercer uh, on TNT, second season, Blu-ray. We'll see how that goes. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow, <laughs> man of the Arrowverse shows. This is the one that I just <laughs> never really could uh, get into. I, I would watch, watch the ones with the, do the, do the, I, I, I love the crossovers. Yeah. Whenever there's a crossover <laughs> thing, you know, I, I, I'll, I'll get this it. One is the, it's, it's, it's the campiest. It's the goofiest. The cast has changed 15 times. Um, That's the thing. I can't keep track of the characters. They keep yeah, bringing people in, pulling you know, them out, bringing and, them in, pulling they, them out. At the moment, they're stuck in the 1920s, but that's not this season. What season are you looking at? This is okay. six. Yeah, this is this is season six, and uh, I, it's like I just I, I, there's nobody that I like. Sarah Lance is the last person here that that I I was really hanging on to, and now she's been abducted by yeah. aliens, and, oh, and it's oh, just yeah, like that. the the whole uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I I don't I don't care about Constantine. Doesn't really work yeah. for me. Um, you know, some of the people, some of these other characters, I'm like, are these really DC? Are you just making stuff up now? Are you just bring, like bring back Hawkman and Hawkwoman? Yeah. Like I recognize yeah. them. No, I feel like I feel like it's kind of uh, it's just it's too much. I have a hard time keeping track of it. But whatever, <gasps> whatever, people like it. Well, they people keep like there it. it is, you know. 
Yeah, and and, and and you know, it feels a little bit like quantum leap when they start bouncing <laughs> around through all these different historical figures. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, uh, like David Bowie shows up in this season. Really? <laughs> Spartacus, I get. David Bowie? That, that's weird. Anyway, you whatever. can't kill David uh, Bowie. It'll ruin. Yeah. Kevin can blank himself. Oh, yeah. Season one. Uh, I, I didn't watch this, and then Annie Murphy won an Emmy, and I'm like... All right. Uh, maybe I should catch up. This is on AMC. Yeah. It's on Blu-ray for a season. I like her. I'm not sure I like the show. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of like a – it's sort of like a, a darker version of what would have normally been a traditional sitcom, but um, – I don't know. She's she's good. We'll see where it, we'll see where yeah. it goes. Um, so Kevin can learn himself. Uh, Mom Baptiste, anything here that uh, that floats your fancy Mom, before we start to uh, wrap to a close? Is, is is really this fascinating show that just you know ran forever? Uh, uh, yeah. And uh, you know, and yeah, I think I think I think uh, our Allison Janney spent more years on this than she did on West Wing. You know, we think of her. Yeah. Uh, uh, this Chuck Lorre show. And, and, and again, it's just another insanely successful Chuck Lorre show. Chuck Lorre is, has probably already become the sort of like, um, I don't know, Erwin Winkler or whoever would have been of our period. Aaron Spelling, I suppose, would be a closer. Uh, uh, so, and, and I just been thinking about that uh, the, the, lately, these sort of television, um, uh, name stays and Chuck Lorre is one of those guys. And, 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 and he's just had all of these shows on, including this one, uh, that have just ran for season after season after season, uh, uh, you know, two and a half men and, and, uh, just, it's just, you know, Chuck Lorre, um, uh, it's just, uh, sort of amazing. So there it is. Uh, I, I think I've maybe, maybe seen three episodes of mom. All total in these, it was, it was 2013 is when. And, uh, and so what is this? Is this the final season? Or what are you? This is Mom, the eighth and final yeah. season. Yep. The eighth and final season. It is done. I, and yeah, because a crazy long run. Uh, and then uh, the, the last TV here before I get I just a few other little uh, quickies, some criterion stuff that I want to want to call attention to before we, we close out and I dive into mm. anime. Um, Superman and oh, Lois. Yeah. This is the first season. Um, boy, this was a really interesting. I thought, really, do you want to do this after Smallville and Lois and Clark? And haven't you kind of done this thing to death a mm. little bit? I, uh, I watch. I've been watching. But, I've been watching. Yeah, it's not bad, man. It's not I, bad. Look, I, I, it, when it first started, it, it, it started in this particular sort of way, and it had to do with Lex Luthor and this, and, and, and this black guy. And, 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 and I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are they doing that thing? But then it, it, yeah. it cleverly worked its way out of that and into the film and into the film, into the, it, the series that it became, mostly set in Smallville. Uh, with, uh, you know, uh, Lois and Clark and their two teenage sons, uh, sort of fraternal twins, one of whom, whom uh, you know, may have powers and so on and so forth. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and, and Lois is running around doing what she's doing. And, 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 and he's, 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 he's playing Superman, but he's playing a distinctly different guy when he's Clark Kent. You know, he's yeah. Superman when he's Superman and he's Clark Kent when he's Clark Kent. Anyway, I, and, and plus it's really kind of a, a very well-made series. Looks fantastic. Looks way more expensive than Flash, for instance. It, it does. It's, it's like Arrowverse adjacent. Yeah. 
Um, and it is, uh, it's probably the best way to put it, but yeah, I like the idea of the, the domestic, you know, moving back to Smallville, trying to raise a family, all that kind of stuff I thought was very, it's, it's done in a very interesting way. And, uh, I think they're going to be able to get some really interesting mileage out of this, uh, out of the show long-term. So it's a really, it's an unusual DC They'll say sort of sort out villains. That's what they're going to have to do is sort out villains. You know, who is it that yeah. Superman's going to be dealing with from season to season? Because, you know, Indeed. That's, that's where Flash got in trouble. Um, Very true. Boy, especially yeah. lately. So real quickly on some, some classic titles and some foreign titles real fast, uh, just to close out. Uh, I got three from Kino, all W.C. Fields films. Uh, the Bank Dick. It's a gift by Norman McLeod and the old fashioned way with, uh, with WC Fields and baby Leroy. <laughs> uh, look, WC Fields is just amazing in all of these things. One of the, one of the all time great vaudevillians turned movie star. Uh, really extraordinary. Uh, I think uh, Norman McLeod in uh, It's a Gift is probably the best director of any of these. But The Bank Dick is the one that most people remember. It is just, uh, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's Shep, later. W.C. Fields from 19... 19- Chef Howard's in that, man. Are you kidding me? I know. It's from 1940. The Fields is getting older. Yeah. He's just crankier in his skin. It just It's the one that really people really, really uh, kind of respond to. But these are all really great films. Definitely worth watching. Uh, you got to have them on the on the shelf if you're a, if you're a big WC Fields fan. From Criterion, we have two really interesting ones: Ratcatcher by Lynn Ramsey, uh, which is which has been out on DVD before. It's finally out on Blu-ray. It was her big 1999 coming of age debut film. Lynn Ramsey still a very controversial filmmaker, very uh, avant-garde-ish, but Ratcatcher is poetic and beautiful and really extraordinary and looks great on Blu-ray. A fair amount of extras here, but nothing really amazing. It's kind of a little bit thin. It's got some of her uh, award-winning short films and a couple of interviews uh, from uh, 2002 and 2021. Uh, And then we also have uh, The Incredible Shrinking Man, which is this really cool Jack Arnold film from 1957 based on uh, Richard Matheson uh, story that is one of the more interesting science fiction films of that particular kind of Cold War paranoia period. And um, it's very philosophical. Matheson is really talking about a lot of stuff going on in the zeitgeist at Mm. the time. But um, this is a really interesting film. Um, I I think it makes a very, very good uh, Criterion release. And they put tons of extras on here. There's even a, uh, a, a an interview from 2016 with uh, Richard Matheson's son, who was also part and not of the to mention some absolutely extraordinary sort of forced perspective mm-hmm. photography uh, in that film and and set yeah. pieces and, and 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 stuff that still kind of plays today. You know, it's not not bad at all. Very much so. And then on the foreign language side, uh, we've got the film Chernobyl 1986 oh, yeah. by Danila Kozlovsky. <clears throat> which I think goes well with the um, HBO miniseries Chernobyl. Uh, this is this is more of a more of a, a disaster film take on it than sort of an existent than, than a than a historical yeah. accounting from a more existential point of view. But uh, it's very very well done, and uh, it is it's made it is a Russian yeah. film. We should yeah. point out so it's it's made in Russia and uh, in Russian, uh, so it doesn't it avoids some of the political. Uh, pitfalls, but uh, well, you know, yeah, looking yeah. at, but you know, uh, it, yeah, you kind of yeah, can't no, yeah, entirely. Yeah, you know, yeah, perspective is a hell of a thing. But uh, you know, from the point of view of a firefighter, kind of their nine eleven in some respects. Yeah. So uh, Chernobyl, Chernobyl, nineteen eighty six. Then we've also got three Jean Paul Belmondo oh. movies. 
uh, Le Magnifique by Philippe de Broca, which is probably the best of them with the Jacqueline Bisset. Uh, and, and Belmondo is awful. Is, is It's a little cheesy in hindsight, mm. uh, but it's still a lot of fun. Dabroka, 1973, you know, kind of doing what he does best. Um, another Dabroka film called Cartouche with uh, Belmondo and Claudia Cardinale. Uh, this is more of a swashbuckler, a period swashbuckler. Lots of fun. This is this is 1962, a decade mm. earlier. This is Dabroka doing his precise thing. And then uh, Italian director Philippe Labro did The Hunter Will Get You, which is just a straight up, you know, crime gun movie and Belmondo being uh, his gangstery self here. Uh, some great commentaries on here with uh, Howard Berger, both on uh, Le Magnifique and uh, The Hunter Will Get You, uh, along with uh, Steve Mitchell and uh, Nathaniel Thompson. Bl- you know, give you a really good sense of Belmondo's career. We were exposed to yeah, Belmondo yeah. when he showed up with women attached <laughs> for his last yeah. award. That was quite amusing. Yeah. And then lastly, a couple of foreign language, uh, criterions, La Strada in a standalone oh, version. These, the complete Fellini boxed set has this included. So you don't need this as a standalone if you have the box set, but if you just want La Strada, which is a beautiful, beautiful film, you can pick this up as a, as a standalone. Mm-hmm. And then uh, lastly, uh, Satyajit Ray's Devi, which is one of my all-time favorite Ray films from 1960. Absolutely fantastic film. Uh, beautiful, beautiful commentary on, on a whole litany of things in Indian culture, but about humanity mm-hmm. generally. Um, uh, you know, dealing with like religious issues in India and in the culture and, and uh, you know, class issues, feudalism. It's all really uh, just amazingly wrapped together in this film that has one of the all-time, uh, you know, great endings of any Ray yeah. film. I, I think it's just yeah. terrific. So um, not really any extras on here, but, uh, you know, there's some interviews, but nothing, nothing. It's it's very thin in terms of extras, but the fact that we have, you know, any, any further Ray films being released on uh, Blu-ray is a great yeah. thing. So... That's it. All right, Tim. I'm gonna I'm gonna pile into the the anime now. Any final words before you start? Uh, let's see. Uh, what are we doing? We, we're starting we're starting award season uh, here. Yeah. Uh, so that's it's gonna be interesting. I know you've seen. Have you seen? You've seen what Belfast? Saw Belfast. That was the premiere of Belfast, which I which I really really love. It's like his 400 mm. blows. I think it's a terrific. Yeah, film. Uh, yeah. I think it's really good. So you know, and uh, I, I saw Lic- Licorice Pizza uh, just the other night. I think we talked about it at the top of the show. So so here we go. It should be interesting. I'm yep. thinking that it, this is going to be a sort of fully attended. I've I've been needing to, needing to physically go to the theater again. So I think that, yeah. that speaks to something. Um, uh, so I imagine we're going to have a, uh, um, uh, and, but although our, our critics organization has not decided yet, um, whether or not we will be in person, um, um, uh, for, for our thing. Yeah. Well, we'll sort that out. We got time. What, uh, what, uh, what do you, what do you hear about House of Gucci? Uh, Cause I'm hearing mixed things. I was supposed to see it last night. Didn't feel up to it. So I didn't um, go. You know, um, uh, uh, same as you. Uh, I didn't go to the same one that you didn't go to. So, so there you go. Yeah. Uh, about <laughs> that tomorrow. So that, and plus I've seen that trailer and, and, uh, and, I, and I, we may have talked about this in an email chain, but I'm, I'm looking at that trailer, you know, with Lady Gaga and Adam Driver and, and all this kind of stuff. And they're, and they're playing these Italians, you know, and, uh, and I'm like, uh, they're playing these Italians, <laughs> you know, and they're, <laughs> and, uh, but they're playing these Italians, you know, and as opposed to it being Mastroianni and, and, and Sophia Loren yeah, or yeah. something like that, who, who yeah, wouldn't be yeah. playing Italians. They would just be being Italian. 
the character. Uh, and yeah. uh, and uh, and uh, so that was a, that was a bit of a problem for me. I'm super duper looking forward to Cyrano uh, because Peter Dinklage. Uh, and uh, and I'm interested in, in in the way Joe Wright is going to sort of like sort that out. It's a, and and I'm also uh, looking forward to uh, the single Cohen brothers, uh, Macbeth with Denzel, yes. which isn't Macbeth, yeah. but but a sort of follow follow yeah. on from Macbeth. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to that. Uh, so you know, those, those are some of the. That's that's one of the reasons why I say that this year is going to be a year I think about really really big films. Films with Denzel Washington and uh, and uh, and big movie stars and uh, and 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 you know Branis spoke to a lot of that when he introduced Belfast at the premiere, which is still a really really uh, big but, film, but despite that it's a you know, it's, but it's a fucking look, movie star film. It, 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 it's 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 Kenneth Branagh, and it's and it's saying I think it stands a very good chance of being the Oscar frontrunner right now because Branagh is a huge figure and and is you know kind of kind of do, but it's also very personal. But he was saying you know they want to bring people back to the theaters, and that's what what Belfast is all about because it's also inspired by his love of movies and going to the movies. You know, it has a a little kind of cinema paradiso. Mm subtext to it as well it's kind of like a like a movie that molds cinema paradiso and 400 blows and hope and glory all in with some kind of a you know a, an, an irish and one of the you know like some kind of an ira in the name of the father yeah yeah a little bit more context because of the time than say roma yeah. but otherwise it's 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 right. like it's very roma uh, um, yeah. um uh, with yeah. uh, with this particular period and so so anyway but uh, yeah, right. that's that's anyway. Uh, all right, brothers. Uh, good talking to you. Not all right, rest good. Of it out. You I'll too. See you soon. Very good. And here we go into anime. All right, it's been a little while since we have uh, tackled anime, so we have let Tim go, and I'm just going to give this a uh, spend the next few minutes just briskly going through some of the great new anime and more interesting new anime that some of uh, some of you may not be aware of, as it is a very very robust market. So. Let's get busy with it. Uh, as we have often talked about, anime is uh, is very, very often preoccupied with uh, the politics of Japanese schools. And uh, we have a season one collection here of one such series called Kakegurui, K-A-K-E-G-U-R-U-I, Kakegurui. Uh, this is all about uh, the... The politics of the elite people in the world, the wealthy, the prestigious people who send their kids to this uh, particular one private school. And uh, at night, everything goes haywire. And, um, you know, the kids, the kids become uh, master gamblers and uh, everything else. Anyway, there's, um, there's nothing um, particularly unusual about this. It's just very much in that genre, really more for teens and young adults, I would say. It's not really kid-appropriate. Uh, the next that we have is Vinland Saga. This is the complete collection of Vinland Saga. This, like the last one, is from the Sente collection. Section 23 is the distributor. Uh, Vinland Saga is actually really, really interesting and very cool. A lot of great anime, of course, is drawn from other mythologies, other parts of the world, and this is no different. This is uh, anime, an anime lens on Norse mythology and uh, kind of basically medieval uh, Denmark and Iceland and all of the sort of Viking lore that goes on around it. It is indeed a saga. It is incredibly well animated. It's sort of, um, you could very easily see this as a, as a medieval Japanese saga, 
set in medieval Japan, except in this case, it's, uh, it's, it's a backdrop of Vikings. Like it a lot better than the television show Vikings, I will say that. So Vinland Saga, really cool. It'd be nice if they expanded that universe a little bit. Heaven's Memo Pad uh, is uh, based on a manga, and this is the complete collection, also from Sente. Um, not exactly my kind of thing. Uh, I, there are, there are manga and there are some, uh, kind of graphic novel versions of manga. This again has, uh, deals with a little bit of, um, of, of student politics. I don't want to call it school politics, but, uh, it's student politics focuses on, oh, uh, wish fulfillment. We will say the, um, the teen detectives is probably a better way of putting it. Uh, kids who want to become kind of Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys uh, type teenagers in, in, in solving these various cases. Uh, it's, you know, it's not exactly Nancy Drew. It's not exactly Hardy Boys. It's, uh, but it's fine. It, it, it works. Uh, the, the artwork is good. The animation is decent. But it doesn't really, you know, blow you away. Um, kind of wants to imagine that it's, I guess, maybe like Junior Avengers or something, but it doesn't, it doesn't really rise to that level. Uh, also an interesting manga, which was turned into, uh, anime, and we have the complete series here from Sente as well, is Maria Hollick. Maria is her first name, Hollick is her last name. And, uh, this, this is probably, this goes back, uh, probably about 15 years or so. The, the original, uh, the original manga. And, uh, once again, a high school girl, her name is Kanako Miyamai. And she has uh, an unusual affliction, which is that she, she's traumatized. <clears throat> Excuse me. She's traumatized by a childhood event that now causes her to be almost allergic to boys and uh, so that she doesn't break out in, in a rash when boys touch her. She goes to this uh, all-girls school hoping that she can, you know, uh, have a relationship with a girl because she can't have a relationship with a boy. They will cause her to physically react. Unfortunately for her, the girl that she falls for may actually be a boy. Those crazy anime animators and their, their wacky stories, right? So it's, that's Maria Hollick, complete series. Um, you know, it's a little weird. It kind of touches on some of the fetishistic stuff that uh, is often a big deal uh, in, in hentai, except here it's part of anime, and it is what it is. The Magnificent Kotobuki of the Movie. The, this is a, a very well-known and well-worn uh, property. <coughs> um, the uh, series originally aired in uh, 2019, and uh, this is a movie based on that series. Uh, it's it's s sort of... Um, it's sort of retro. It's it's not a. Uh, it doesn't take place in a particular place in time, but it definitely seems to have a World War II bent to it. And you know there are there are World War One or somewhere between World War One and World War Two. There are uh, planes and fighter pilots and and uh, 
the dirigibles and, and various other things. And uh, this just happens to be about a squad of young women, uh, fighter, young women who fly fighter planes. And uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's girl power, and it's it's creative. It um, y- there's probably a little bit more to the lore that you won't necessarily get if you haven't watched the original series or read any of the original manga. But uh, it comes loaded with some wonderful special features, and uh, if you if you do like the property, you will definitely be able to uh, appreciate the movie of it. Dusk Maiden of Amnesia, also based on a manga, as so many of them are. Uh, again, school-oriented. The politics of school and another private school in this case. It is Seiku Private Academy. And uh, the, 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 the twist here is that it's, um, it's not exactly a normal school. It's a very unusual school. It's a very un- built over this, this shrine. And uh, there are some supernatural things going on regarding a certain deceased figure's uh, possible ghost. And... Um, it, it veers a little bit into uh, it's, kind of, it's kind of somewhere between Harry Potter and uh, oh, a Japanese ghost story, I guess best way to put it. If you were to, if you were to filter the Harry, the world of Harry Potter and the world of an educational institution and the supernatural through a through a prism that related to Japanese traditional ghost stories, it, that would basically be Dusk Maiden of Amnesia. Um, really, really beautifully animated. Uh, some very, very creative uh, visualization here, but uh, somewhat, somewhat uh, pedestrian writing. I'm sorry to say. Hero Mask uh, was uh, seen, I believe, here on Netflix at one point. Uh, in any case, this takes place in London, kind of uh, a, a uh, semi-futuristic London, and uh, deals with a particular crime unit, an imaginary crime unit. And uh, it's kind of a noir, I guess, Um trying to solve rather elaborate um, elaborate crimes that may or may not have a, uh, a supernatural uh, dimension to them. The prisoners that they are, they are trying to capture, these, these escaped prisoners, uh, appear to have some kind of super, super abilities. So um, Hero Mask is the, uh, the complete collection. It's a bit of a you know, noir with a little touch of, uh, uh, of superpowers and superheroes. And uh, incredibly great artwork and conceptual design. Really, really super cool. Uh, This includes some of the Japanese promos and uh, character costume designs and uh, a few other behind-the-scenes things. Very, very cool to look at. Hero Mask. Next we have School Live. Um, School Live is not anime, but it comes from Sentei, so it is the... uh, the the it is it is uh, anime adjacent. This uh, goes into the Japanese schoolgirl thing and combines it with horror. And we've got two movies here. We've got School Live the movie and Gakko School Live another story. Um, it's uh, again adapted from a manga. This is a kind of a, a sort of a horror. I don't know that it's that horrifying. Um, it, it I don't know that it's, it's all that good to be honest, but uh, it definitely has a has a certain genre appeal. 
And uh, the idea here is that it's uh, about these 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 girls who are all you know in the same school. They all kind of know each other, but they aren't necessarily friends. But they are brought together when there's a zombie outbreak, and as in all zombie stories, they have to somehow bond together and hang out and do the the zombie world thing and slay zombies. So you have Japanese schoolgirls in uniform slaying zombies. Funny, not as funny as it probably should be, uh, and it doesn't really justify a sequel. But for some reason, uh, they made a sequel, and it's you know probably it's not worse than the original. It's about probably about the same. Uh, I'm going to mutilate the title of this one, but I'm going to give it my shot anyway. Uh, we've talked about this before. Chihayafuru. Chihayafuru. This is, we've talked about this before. There have been uh, two previous seasons. This is now the third season of it. More or less the same as the previous. Don't bother with it. If you haven't watched the others, you need some continuity here. It's not going to make a whole lot of sense if you, uh, if you aren't already up to speed. But, um, you know, if you don't know what a Karuta is, for example, that's not going to mean a whole lot to you. But uh, if you have caught up on the previous two, just know that the third season is now out and awaiting your attention. Also based on a manga is the post-apocalyptic tale Seven Seeds, which uh, we've also talked about before. This is part two. And uh, very, very interesting. This is, uh, it, it, it answers some of the questions from the previous, <coughs> from part one. And uh, it actually opens up some really interesting new little uh, uh, new areas that, that new questions about um, how these people were preserved and, you know, what uh, how we're going to create the the new the, these young people who have been uh, basically engineered to help re repopulate the earth after the uh, the apocalypse um, really philosophically kind of uh, reaches uh, much further than you expect it to, to do so. The, uh, and the, 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 there's, there is, as is often the case here, a lot of uh, sort of uh, lingering questions that have been part of Japanese anime and Japanese science fiction since the end of world war two, uh, things related to nuclear power and, and the, the use of technology and whether technology is outstripping humans and, you know, the usual, Themes that are that are very much a part of Japanese science fiction uh, are are quite well explored here. Also, superbly well animated and um, very disciplined writing. Much more disciplined than I would normally have expected for for where the, the first part went. Uh, next, we have a complete collection of Gate G A T E, which is a fantasy series. Uh, originally from about 10, 15 years ago, was a manga. And uh, it makes for pretty great anime. Really uh, very, very clever, pulpy storytelling. Um, takes place in modern-day Tokyo, where a, uh, an, an interdimensional portal um, brings forces into modern-day Tokyo uh, through this kind of stargate that, uh, that threaten the city and, and potentially the world. And uh, this is all about the kind of uh, Independence Day type effort that is mobilized to address this, uh, <coughs> excuse me, this unusual, this unusual threat. And of course, it's not, you know, it's, it's not at all what you expect it to do. It has some really interesting twists and turns. Uh, 
Cagister of an insect cage. I'll say that again. Cagister of an insect cage. Once again, Sente Library, um, based on a manga. And also a post-apocalyptic uh, story to it, uh, in which after the apocalypse, these people are doing kind of a Starship Troopers thing and fighting giant bugs. Uh, it's different from Starship Troopers, though, obviously, uh, in that there's kind of an invasion of the body snatchers vibe to it, almost kind of a, a zombie vibe to it. So it uh, it's pulpy, but it is unique on its own. It's 12 episodes uh, on two discs and um, really quite intelligent and very, very interesting. Good genre stuff here. So that's the complete collection of Cagister of an Insect Cage. <clears throat> Kids on the Slope. Again, Sente and based on a manga. Uh, this is uh, from people who did Cowboy Bebop. and. Um, it's pretty, pretty cool, actually. Um, more student politics, but not of uh, the uh, necessarily supernatural variety. Uh, this is all kind of a tribute to jazz, which is a thing in Japan. And, um, uh, you know, these high school students who are, who are forming relationships and, and basically uh, uh, trying, you know, to, to express themselves through through jazz and much of it centers around a, uh, a record shop that uh, one of the family one of the, the family of one of the characters owns um it takes a little bit uh, takes a little bit getting used to it. it's a little bit slow in in ramping up uh it's set in the 1960s so there's a there's a kind of a period thing going to it the period the 60s and jazz don't quite fit together very well it's not quite clear why it had to be in the 1960s um, and the interviews here don't necessarily go very far in answering that, but, um, it's, it is, uh, it is nicely done and, uh, kind of, you know, more, more grown up than these things typically are. Um, we've got one here from shout and G kids, uh, who are doing a, a great deal, bringing a lot of other anime to the fore future boy. Conan was an early Hayao Miyazaki, uh, project uh this is like i guess uh what year was this this is uh it's been quite some time um uh, the i think it was this was a, at least 20 years ago that this was originally aired but um it's uh it's a lot of fun actually it's it's a it's a very like as as is it the case with much miyazaki it's uh it's very sweet and it sort of uh, has wonderful uh, escapist quality to it. Um, so the what's a little weird here is the thing that we get now with a lot of science fiction where the year it takes place in is, of course, our past, but it is the future of the story when it was originally done. Um, in any case, I think, uh, and this, this may actually go as far back as the, the 1970s, but it, it, you know, it's been done a lot over time. And it's, uh, it is, uh, you, you see the Miyazaki of today kind of taking shape. Um, it, uh, it's a little bit of uh, post-apocalyptic in that, uh, we're in a place in 2008 where the world has been largely, um, sent into a tailspin and, uh, the earth is, is now kind of off of its, its, its orbital rotation, um, a lot of cataclysms have taken place all over the planet 
And um, there is this this boy named Conan, who is kind of a messianic figure, Joseph Campbell figure, among those who are trying to survive the Earth and uh, and flee into space and um, and be the last remnant of, of uh, humanity. Um, and um, it is the story of of Conan and and how all of this transpires in his life and and how he rises to his calling the romance that he has with this young girl and um it's it's a it's very thoughtful and and poetic and sweet and and quite quite lovely and very different the uh the hente prince and the stony cat uh the word hente always kind of uh uh, sends people a little bit sideways because hente, of course, is the very, very adult version of uh, of anime. In this case, it uh, it's a translation. It means, in theory, it would mean the the perverted prince and the cat who cannot smile. That's sort of what this would translate at the hente uh, prince and the stony cat. That's kind of the the literal transliteration of it. Um, Basically, it's a school thing again about a guy who's kind of a pervert, and um, he's that doesn't mean that he's like a you know a deviant or anything. It just means that he's very shy and he doesn't manage his relationships very well. He's socially awkward and all of that, and um, uh, he has uh, let's let's just say that he um, there's something supernatural that makes itself available to him that may help him relieve all of these issues but it is a faustian bargain and you know it becomes kind of a a, a mythical parable at that point uh very smartly written not all that interesting in terms of the the artwork it it veers a little bit it tries to be a little bit too hente so it kind of misses a chance there but um it is it is worth watching uh, needing absolutely no introduction is Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is new on uh, Blu-ray, 26 episodes, the complete series, courtesy of, once again, Shout and G-Kids. Uh, this is, you know, a, a it's no longer in the future. It's now in our past. It originally took place in 2015. And uh, the future version of Tokyo is is under attack from supernatural, possibly alien beings. Um it's kind of uh, one of the better mecha genre uh, odysseys that have come about in recent years. And uh, it's very popular and uh, you really can't go wrong. So there's a, there's some very, very special edition steel books and more deluxe editions available. We were only sent the regular Blu-ray, but um, there's a lot of uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion fare available this holiday season. So it's worth checking out. Uh, getting very close to the end here, we also have Venus Wars. Venus Wars is some really, really interesting animation. Uh, they took a lot of time with it. I just wish they'd taken a little, perhaps a little bit more time in the writing. It's it's kind of uh, it's kind of confusing. Uh, it's a but it's a very successful and popular manga. So I'm sure if you know the original manga, it will probably make a lot more sense to you. Um, it is uh, certainly when it was created in the, in the 1980s, I believe. It, it was set in the early 2000s and uh, deals with a, a cataclysm of sorts that takes place in the solar system and uh, some interplanetary co- uh, um, 
colonization and uh, mainly the relationships between Earth and Venus, and uh, which is sort of a metaphor for a number of possible uh, conflicts between nations on Earth. But in this case, it is, you know, Earth and Venus. Um, it's, uh, it looks great, um, but again, it's a little bit hard to follow, and it moves very, very quickly. But Venus Wars is uh, is is some good looking anime uh complete collection of uh say i love you again high school politics uh, about shy kids and uh and awkward kids and, and social adjustment and so forth um there's nothing unusual here it's uh it's just straightforward teen drama i don't know that this is going to be that interesting to anyone who's not already steeped in the genre but uh, it, it does have some interesting artwork, um, very creative and kind of um, different in the way that the artwork is conceived and drawn. That also goes for the next one here, which is, I think, vastly superior in anime form to its original manga uh, inspiration, just because of how aggressively the artwork was, uh, was conceived. She, the ultimate weapon, otherwise known as Saikano, Saikano is the ultimate weapon. Um, once again, a high school student. Uh, Shuji is, uh, is, uh, is a young high school student. Uh, and um, looking for the diaries left behind by his girlfriend. And this leads us into a rather elaborate diary narrated flashback. And um, it's a grand drama, a grand war, kind of war-driven drama um, uh, that deals with kind of a, a female messianic presence that is trying not to reveal any of these, these the, the twists and turns in the story here. But um, if, if you imagine, if you imagine... Trying to think of a good analogy to this in 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 Western science fiction. I'm not sure. I can. I, I'm not sure there really is one. But suffice to say that that uh, female messianic figures, and it's sort of uh, mecha adjacent. It's not quite a mecha tale, but it has a it has a, a, a touch of that. It's very nostalgic. It's um, it deals with immortality and many other concepts that are, that are sort of endemic to this, this class of, of anime. I think it's really cool. And it, uh, it's got a lot of really, really great edges to it. Didn't never read the, the manga, but she, the ultimate weapon just in terms of the artwork alone is really a step, uh, a step above what they, what they did in the, uh, the original manga. Um, nothing, uh, no big deal here. Nozo X Kimi. Um, didn't give this much uh, of a consideration. I'm, I'm a little bit familiar with this. It's uh, this again, a, a manga, a, kind of a, you know, uh, it's a little bit, it's a little bit prurient. Um, it, you know, guys peeking on girls' locker rooms and uh, it's a little bit titillating. It's like, it's like hentai, but not quite hente. Um, it doesn't really have any uh, great redeeming qualities. It's just means to be rather titillating. And I'm sure the artist had a really good time with it, but uh, it, it's, it, 
it leaves much to be desired. Um, uh, Nozo X Kimmy for those who really care. There's a few more here. Uh, Redo of Healer has some of those same problems, unfortunately. Uh, this is uh, goes in the magical direction. Uh, the idea of of ma trying to use um, sexual abuse, I guess, as a as an entree into telling a story that ostensibly has all kinds of um, magical. Uh, twists on destiny and fate. Um, the Philosopher's Stone is, is part of this as well, you know, which it borrows from, from Harry Potter and from, from ancient lore. Um, but the sexual aspect of it, it really kind of takes it back and, and, and I, I think diminishes what it's trying to do. And that is quite unfortunate. Uh, we continue to have some of those same similar problems in, uh, problem children are coming from another world, aren't they? That's one of those long, elaborate anime titles that, uh, that really only exists in, 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 in this particular world. Um, this is about three kids with psychic power and, uh, they are transported to this mystical place, um, where they engage in games that are strictly for people who have similar and comparable gifts, except that things are overseen in this particular place by these demonic figures. And um, I, even though this is not ostensibly designed to be titillating, the way it is drawn, the way the artwork is is <coughs> conceived, it's um, it seems to be aimed at that crowd. Also rather insubstantially written and uh, fails to impress to any significant degree. Uh, we have season three of my teen romantic comedy, Snafu Climax. Uh, won't go into this to any great degree uh, other than to say that this kind of has overstayed its welcome a little bit. Uh, it, it is, um, it's really far too much of the same. And then the last three, and we will call it quits, is Magical Girl Sight, beautifully drawn, also somewhat, somewhat lacking in the story department. Um, this is a this is middle school stuff, and um, kids with magic in middle school, supernatural qualities to it. Um, you know, there's a, there, it, it gets a little funky because it has all kinds of weird internet stuff involved. Like you can, you can, like the uh, social media, Japanese social media brings together all those who have comparable magics. Like if, you know, Japanese schoolgirls who form their own sort of X-Men team through social media, um, you know, it, it's a little far-fetched, not, not great. Um, beautifully animated, but really, uh, kind of a very, very narrow audience for something like that. Um, and then the last two, uh, Made in Abyss and Sunday Without God, uh, also skew rather young. Made in Abyss, um, has a, a companion role-playing game for, uh, for computers and, and game systems. Uh, and it kind of plays a little bit like that. Uh, you know, it, it's, 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 it's orphan wish fulfillment stuff. It's kids and, and adventures and, 
uh, Indiana Jones type uh, adventure seeking. But it skews very young, very silly. The comedy doesn't really necessarily quite always pan out, but I think for young kids, it'd be perfectly fine. And uh, Sunday Without God uh, was originally a, a what they call a light novel series. And uh, this takes place in a uh, kind of an, a, a, a fantasy world where um, people can no longer uh, have children. And everyone lives forever. And uh, it it takes some very interesting philosophical turns on that premise, which is a good one. And uh, I will I will not reveal any of the uh, the story aspects to it. But what it does with that premise is is um, is quite touching, and it asks some very very salient uh, questions that are both interesting from a religious and a philosophical standpoint. So Sunday without God. Um, really probably the most interesting thing of, of all the new anime that we have and that is also from the Sente library so that is it for new anime uh, go out and, and uh, pick up whatever you want it is uh, it is all available online at most inter- internet e-tailers and with that signing off and we will uh, probably see you next time for our holiday show and gift guide so be well and uh, and hang out we're, I think we're almost through this thing so just a little bit longer, and I think we'll be all back to normal pretty soon, if not by the end of the year, then certainly um, a little bit into 2022. See you next time.
Thank you.